The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the latest Kazuna Road Show, Ignition Night 2, answering listener questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode. Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am doing well. How are you, man? Doing good, man. You know, we're in the the, the Florida summer season. We're, we're getting rain uh, every week, every day now. Yeah, uh, I noticed like the other week that the way the show usually goes, you come in, you say, how am I doing? And then I say some weird shit. And then and then you're like, all right, well, let's talk about wrestling. So, <laughs> but, but we don't check in with you enough. So, you know. yeah, man, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, got got the good news today that uh, my employer is finally uh, going to start matching for uh, 401k. So, they weren't doing that already. No. Nah. What kind of grifters were you working for? <laughs> That that nonprofit life, man. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm never going back to work. Oh, in in the office. Yeah, like we're we're like at home forever, mm. like indefinitely. So it's kind of tight. <laughs> well, yeah, they probably figured. I'm sure, like a lot of businesses are, you know, cutting costs as they they realize that their employees can get their work done from home, and so why, you know, rent out a building if you don't need to. Yeah, I, I think they just didn't want me to come in and stretch people, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, they got wind that you were, you know, at the side dojo learning all these holes and move, maneuvers, and they can't have it in the workplace. Yeah, I don't take any guff like Joey Janela. <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, you might you know, show up uh, in a meeting like Joey Janela, disguised, and cause a ruckus. See, here's the thing. I don't like Q people, bro. Okay, I'm just going to – if if you're a Q listener, I'm sorry. I don't like you. Um, and, and here's the reason why, and it's something that really bothers me. They've co-opted a lot of the things that I like as a paranoid um, conspiracy theorist. Do you know what I mean? And it's like – okay, I get it. All conspiracy theorists have some commonalities. You know what I mean? But now like – in, in the zeitgeist, they're becoming more like, um, you know, aligned with, you know, far right and alt right and Q people. And I'm like, the fuck? Like, you know, for instance, let me just throw an example out there. Anytime someone comes online now and they're like, you know, don't follow the crowd, don't be a sheep, be a free thinker. Okay. That's like, do, 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 do. You know, like sirens are going off for most people. Like, oh shit, this person's cute. You know, anti-vax, anti-mask. But I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. You shouldn't be a sheep. You should be able to be a free thinker. That doesn't mean that I'm anti-vax. Like, I don't, I don't like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it seems like yeah. There's a, a lot of uh, they co-opted a lot of stuff in in that kind of yeah. <laughs> or like, like I, I was in a group today and I was talking about this and I was like, or like. You know, being like anti like sex slavery and anti like human trafficking and like child pedophile rings. Like I'm anti that stuff. Uh, but like Q doesn't get to like appropriate that and take it for their own. Right. Yeah. If you, if you go too hard <laughs> on that, then people start side eyeing you. <laughs> <laughs> and then like Jamie was like, he's like, oh, so you're you're anti pedophile? I'm like, yes, I'm heavily heavily anti pedophile. Like, Thank you for clearing that up. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Just want everyone to know, like I'm against that shit, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but but fuck, how much against it are that. you? <laughs> huh? But how much against it are you? <laughs> Completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so you ready to uh, dive into uh, some New Japan? Yeah, I feel like there's there's not a lot, but there kind of is. So we'll see where we get to with this week. You know? Yeah, yeah, this might be. Uh, a, little, a light episode this week might might be end up being the shortest uh, kiss episode in history. We'll, we'll see what we got here. We'll make it go as long as we can. So uh, first thing, I figured we'd start out talking with the news that came out uh, last week after we were done recording. With uh, fans will be coming to Strong for the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour. So uh, the our normal Friday night strong, they're going to be doing their first of tapings with fans first time Monday, August sixteenth, which is two days after the resurgence show that's happening in L.A. So we got nine matches that will be planned to take place on the Fighting Spirit Unleashed twenty twenty one for future broadcasts of Strong. There will be extremely limited tickets that will be going on sale Wednesday, June thirtieth at ten a.m. Pacific time. So both tickets for Resurgence and Fighting Spirit Unleashed going on sale at the same time. Uh, doors open 6.30. Show starts at 7.30. So we'll be at the Thunder Studios. Tickets will range uh, from $60 to $120. So far, we have advertised the Never Openweight Champion, Switchblade Jay White, the Strong Openweight Champion, Filthy Tom Waller, Juice Robinson, Leo Rush, Choto Umino, Ren Narita, Fred Rosser, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, and Hickaleo. Uh, young boy, what do you think, man? We're finally getting fans in the building for Strong. Yeah, well, when it comes to um, you know exciting announcements, this is amongst one of the more exciting things New Japan's announced this year. You know the uh, 
beginnings of live attendance for U.S. shows. And, you know, we've never had uh, live attendance since they started doing the tapings for Strong or since they started doing the tapings for, uh, you know, its predecessor and that sort of thing. So this is really cool. Um, And what a smart time to do it. Uh, other than, you know, conjointly with the resurgence, you know, flying crowd. Because, I mean, they'll it's not a huge, like, arena or anything like that, so I'm not doubting that they couldn't, like, do well with the tickets. But, I mean, $60 to $120, I don't know if that price point is going to be one that sticks going forward down the line. Uh, it might. But, I mean, it, with this audience, it's going to work because you're going to have so many people from out of town. You're guaranteed to sell out even at those prices. And it, if they do want to continue with those prices, it sets a precedent day one. So I think that this is a, a really smart idea from, you know, those who are running this deal out in California. And then for the fans that are in attendance, I mean, you know, what a plus, you know, the ability to not only go to the big resurgence show, but possibly, you know, get in the doors for that strong taping as well. Yeah, I think it's a very smart, you know, marketing move here. You can make, uh, you know, a big weekend out of it. You fly in town, you, you hit up Resurgence on Saturday night, then you check out California for the rest of the weekend. You stay Monday, you go to these strong tapings, and then you fly out, you know, Tuesday morning. I think it's a, a nice little weekend, little nice little wrestling trip. You know, we're starting to see a lot of companies kind of creating their own, like, destination weekends and so I think it's a very smart play here with New Japan. Like you mentioned, to capitalize on the fans that will be in town for all these shows. This is all happening in Long Beach. That's where the uh, you know Thunder Studio is as well. So Thunder Studio is Long Beach for the Fighting Spirit Unleashed uh, strong tapings. But the uh, resurgence is happening in L.A. at the Torch Arena. Yeah, I don't, bro. Like, you know, if we do go, I don't know anything about California. I've been to like San Diego before and liked it a lot, but I mean, I don't know. When I think of Long Beach, I think of like, you know, Dr. Dre and like Snoop Dogg being like, Long Beach, Inglewood. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you know, it sounds like a place maybe uh, you might, I don't know. I don't know what it's like there. I don't know what the, uh, you know, what the vibe is. And I don't know. I've been to LA and LA was wild. And I've heard like since the pandemic and everything, like it's only gotten like, crazier out there so i'm like kind of wondering like yo what's it like when you were kind of describing you're like yeah you're gonna go to the one show and then for the rest of the weekend check out california i'm like i don't know (laughs) yeah it's been a quite some time since (laughs) i've been in california i went after i graduated from high school hit up la san fran san diego um san diego's raw yeah dude i I love san diego the weather there was awesome uh nice city uh so yeah I i mean and we did have a question here from Viking Payne uh, saying, you know, Strong will be allowing people to go to their tapings pretty soon. If you guys are in L.A. for the resurgence show, will you also be making a quick stop to Strong as well? well I guess we'd have to make a decision soon because these tickets are extremely limited. Unless that's just a marketing ploy, but they say they're extremely limited. Right. And, you know, so we'll see, I guess. Either we will or we won't. <laughs> yeah, it's up in the air right now for, for both shows, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm pretty excited that we're getting fans in the building for Strong, and they're saying nine matches, so I'm, it sounds like with uh, three matches per Strong, they're, they're going to do three weeks of tapings, seems like the plan going forward, so uh, I think it's a decent amount, uh, I think sometimes promotions, when they tape, sometimes they go too much, they'll tape like months and months, I, I, I think like a three to four week 
uh, taping schedule is perfect. Uh, like the names that they have here so far, I got to imagine that we'll see maybe some other New Japan names from the domestic side or other indie guys kind of come in and fill the spot up. But like you mentioned too, with the ticket prices, I do think, yeah, if they're going to try and keep that ticket range in the future, you're definitely going to have to bring in some more big names. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the list of guys that they got, uh, you know, competing here, you know, pretty impressive list. Uh, we'll see if there's any surprises come uh, taping time. But yeah, yeah, and I think we're, we're a three week, you know, taping schedule. You know, you can tape. Jay can be there, tape, get be on strong for three weeks, and then he can fly out to Japan, do stuff in Japan while he's on strong at the same time. So I think that that works out perfectly. Nice. Well. Speaking of New Japan of America, we had Ignition Night 2 2021. This was past Friday, June 25th. Yeah, so show opened up. We had Fred Yehai in Wheeler, Utah. They defeated the team of Kevin Knight and the DKC. 7 minutes and 47 seconds. Both of these teams will be in the Tag Team Turbulence tournament that's going to be starting a couple of weeks here on Strong. Uh, what are your thoughts on the team of Freddie Yeha and Wheeler Utah? Um, this is a team that I've enjoyed their work quite a bit. Um, it sort of feels kind of like two guys thrown together, but I don't know if that's the case. You know, I don't know if Freddie Yeha and Wheeler Utah have some sort of like allegiance or bond, you know, kayfabe or otherwise outside. Um, yeah. I mean, I could. I could see them maybe both working like AEW and totally fitting like a glove, but I, I'm not like up enough on the indie scene to kind of know if that's the case or not. They've they've worked Ring of Honor together, uh, and a little Ring of Honor I've watched this year. They were part of the whole kind of foundation storyline with Lethal and Gresham trying to bring back uh, pure wrestling and bringing in pure wrestlers into the company. And I know there was like a, there was like a big like eight man tag or. Uh, the foundation was like mixed up with some of these guys, and Yay High and Wheeler were on, were on one half of the team. So, um, a little bit of experience working together. Uh, I think both these guys have also been in Beyond and like AAW as well. Well, I think like if you didn't know them, you might just see them thrown together and think automatically, like, yeah, I mean, these guys came in as a package, as a unit. That's what they are, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think someone like me who's a little more familiar. Uh, not overly familiar, but more familiar with them as singles guys. Kind of wondering, like, well, what's the deal? What's the story? What's the connection? Are we talking about a unit? Are we talking about two guys that are just kind of thrown together for the time being? Um, but as far as, like, their work, uh, it's been pretty good. Um, I'm especially, like, really feeling Freddie high in the New Japan ring and environment. Mm, like, yeah. you know, slowly but surely. I mean, if you look at the kind of guys that they're kind of incorporating in New Japan Strong, I mean – Fred Yehai, Chris Dickinson, um, Filthy Tom Lawler, Josh Alexander, like they keep bringing in these guys that have like these kind of like legit credentials or, or, you know, appearances. And um, I think that that's kind of smart in a certain sense because it kind of brings a, a little bit of a legitimate feel to the New Japan of USA product, you know? Right. And it just kind of helps with the overall kind of viewpoint of New Japan. Obviously, New Japan is seen as the more in-ring centric promotion and um, is heralded as having some of the best wrestling ever. And so, obviously, you want to make New Japan of America kind of model off what's uh, happened in New Japan, you know, pretty much its its whole career or its whole existence. And so, yeah, bringing in these guys that are great, you know, 
mat wrestlers, great strikers, like you mentioned, Yeha, uh, Wheeler, Strong, um, uh, Filthy Tom Waller, Chris Dickinson. You're bringing all these guys that really fit this. They, they, these guys could work in, in domestic New Japan and fit in perfectly. And so they're bringing that style to Strong now. And so you're, you're kind of making Strong look like, you know, actual New Japan. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And, um, I mean, it kind of just goes beyond that. I mean, you know, there are certain, like, characteristics. And, you know, we talk about how this business is very much like a cosmetic one. And, you know, different traditionally different territories, different regions would have certain things that they were known for. You know, um, most famously, you know, the WWE is very famous for having traditionally, you know, over six feet jacked huge muscular type dudes you know and that was sort of like the idea of what their concept of like a professional wrestler should be you know well like in new japan the guys that they've been bringing in aren't necessarily monsters not to say they don't have some bigger guys but you know these guys aren't the biggest guys in stature they're not you know the most jacked but then again they're not like the high flying flippy indie darlings they've got a good amount of those types of guys as well but, you know, they're kind of giving a home to a lot of the, the names that we just mentioned who have kind of existed out on the indie circuit and in different promotions, but always kind of felt like they were like the one legit guy who was sort of like floating around or like, you know, that was kind of their one gimmick, you know? Right. It's, it, and I mean, like in North America, the last time I, could, I felt like there was like a prominent place where lots of guys like that existed it was like. Uh, particular eras of like probably evolve, right? You know? And and guy well, like Fred Yehai was in that era, you know, when they were doing uh, Catch Point, and you had him and like Tracy Williams and some of the you know more kind of shoot base uh, Matt Riddle and stuff that they were doing there. Uh, yeah, and but these guys aren't even particularly known for being like you know the grapple fuck guys or like you know the long epic melodramatic type of performers. These are guys that are like hard hitting tough guys, no nonsense, very legit very good exciting you know and i think that that's kind of what's needed for this brand specifically um so i'm kind of you know i think it's a welcome change you know and i think it's something that was lacking in the first year of like new japan of usa you know we had a lot of high flyers which was great but at the same time we were kind of missing like that hard hitting strong style aspect of of new japan you know what kind of defines the company Right, because yeah, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, there was that one six-man tag that had like Blake Christian and ACH and Alex Zane, all the high flyers, and like, it seemed like they were trying to go like for a more American indie junior style. But uh, yeah, since, since then, yeah, like you mentioned, they're they've kind of pivoted. They're they're kind of gone to the bread and, and, bread and butter. And look how many of those guys are no longer really associated with the brand. I mean, PJ Black, Flip Gordon. Leo Rush, ACH, I mean, uh, Alex Zane, um, Blake Christian. I mean, that's six guys right there that were all, like, very, very talented, super fast-paced high flyers, and they're all gone. Right. And so, yeah, now we're, we're seeing uh, the, the emergence of, like you mentioned, yeah, these, these grapplers, these tough guys, these, these, these heavy hitters, and it's made the show just so much uh, more enjoyable. And, you know, when fans get in here, man, I think it's going to be really great, and I think – uh, Strong is going to continue to elevate and become one of the better shows. And, yeah, bringing in guys like uh, Yehai in Utah. And then we have guys like Kevin Knight in the DKC training with Shibata in the L.A. Dojo. 
um, getting better and better. Uh, Kevin Knight, man, his drop kick is something right now, man. Kevin Knight's drop kick's really awesome. I, I like DKC's drop kick too. Um, his is kind of more reminiscent of like what uh, Minoru Suzuki is known for throwing. You know, it's not yeah. like your your beautiful high flying float over drop kick. It's more like a get one leg up there and just fucking kick the guy as right. hard as you can. <laughs> um, so that's cool. You know, the 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 lines in in um, out of the LA dojo, like they're almost basically quasi, you know, um, young lions. I mean, at, not to say that the guys in Noge never have wrestling experience because sometimes they do, you right, know? Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, like Okada had an extensive period of time training in wrestling before he ever got to the, the, uh, the Noge dojo. But for the most part, they're usually bringing in completely green, you know, athletes and, and that guys have never touched a wrestling ring before, but in the LA dojo, you know, all these guys, every single one of them, you run down the whole list, they all had lengthy amounts of time before they ever got into the LA Dojo. So when they when they're kind of coming out, it's almost like they've got a lot, a lot of experience and they have even more experience training under Shibata, refining them, retraining them, teaching them. I mean, like they're basically like I, I don't want to say they're not actually young lions, but they're like quasi young lions. You know, they're, they're barely young lions at all. Right, especially you think even like a guy like Gabriel Kidd, who had done a ton, a ton of stuff in Rev Pro in the UK indie scene, and then went to the LA Dojo. I mean, he's he's you know already trained, had several you know several years under his belt, but you know, like you mentioned, Shibata is kind of you know breaking him down, getting rid of some bad habits, and just changing the style. And so yeah, we're seeing that with guys like Connors and Fredericks and Coglin and the DKC. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're like finished products by any means when they got into the dojo but what i am saying is that once once he deems them worthy to come out in the black trunks they've had so much experience that that is sort of foundational underneath what they're presenting i mean they're way beyond you know in ring time uh what the nogay dojo guys are when they first debut you know and i think that's pretty evident here with um kevin knight and dkc and it's also evident in the way they book these guys because very rarely are you ever going to see any of these young lions come out and really just truly get squashed. It hasn't happened yet. Right. It's been um, very competitive, especially in this match. We got to see Knight and DKC really you know, show off some of the grappling skills that they've learned in the L.A. Dojo, keeping up with grapplers like Yehi in Utah. Yeah. And not to say that they don't lose. Obviously, they lose. So the records are still reflective of that that ideology or that logic of booking. But the big difference is um, the, the match layouts, you know, in, in Japan, for sure the, the lions, you know, get hope spots and they have, you know, periods of offense, but more often than not, you do see them get swallowed up, especially early on. But with these guys, it never really happens. They're always presented in a highly competitive light. And, um, you know, it's just two different philosophies, two different, you know, styles of, of doing things. I think it's very interesting. But the big thing here with Yehi and Wheeler um, taking on Kevin Knight and DKC is that that uh, tag tournament is coming up and both of these teams are going to be involved in that. So this is almost kind of like a quasi preview. And, you know, we kind of got to see it was nice because, like I mentioned, Knight and DKC didn't get eaten alive. They took the predictable loss, but they looked good in defeat. 
And Fred Yehi and Wheeler Utah show themselves to be even more formidable, getting in some time, getting in some reps, and then putting their you know opponents away. Right, and I think too with uh, Wheeler Utah and Fred Yehi picking up a win uh, before tournament, it kind of helps build credibility the for momentum. them. As, yeah, as a team, because you know a lot of people are looking at the brackets that are automatically saying, "Oh, you know, it's going to be Good Brothers uh, Violence Unlimited." But with Yehi and Utah picking up some wins now before tournaments, like, all right, maybe these guys are players. Maybe they're going to pull upset and go further in the tournament. Hey, I mean, that's what they did prior to the uh, tournament to, to crown the strong champion. And I, that's what I was thinking about Ren Narita, if you recall. I was like, dude, why did he beat all these people if he's going to lose in the first round? And what did he do? He <laughs> <laughs> turned around and lost. So, um, I mean – it's worked in the past. There's precedent for it. So, I mean, that's definitely uh, a possibility. Yeah. So let's move on to the second match. We had the Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, defeating our good friend Rocky Romero, 12 minutes and four seconds. Also, this match came from the the match that happened a couple of weeks ago, a tag match where post-match uh, Clark and Rocky got into uh, you know, a big pull-apart brawl after the match and uh, Clark challenged Rocky to a one-on-one match. I'll see previously as a young lion, uh, Clark faced off Rocky in several tag matches and one-on-one matches and um, lost. And so, you know, kind of a big moment here. Clark being graduated, take on uh, taking on Rocky. Yeah, this this match was fine. Um, I think both guys showed us quite a bit. Uh, Twelve minutes, they got a good amount of time, and then you know Clark Connors kind of picked up the the big win here, which was. You know, a, a huge step for him in, in his standings within, uh, you know, New Japan Strong. We've kind of talked about how Rocky Romero right now is sort of like the gatekeeper in that, you know, just generally speaking on the show. Yeah. And sort of kind of, kind of facilitating almost like a dad role um, to, to some degree. So this is a big win for him. Um, I wasn't blown away by the match by any means. I mean, I don't know. I'd probably go 3-3 three, three and a quarter. But – um it served its purpose in, you know, presenting Clark Connors in a good light and letting him have a competitive match with Rocky and, you know, prevailing. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a good match. I'm thinking about three stars on it, a solid match. And also the story of the match was, you know, Clark kind of showing Rocky that he had answers to a lot of the of Rocky's signature moves, a lot of the things that he would normally get a young lion version of Clark Connors with. And then in the middle of the match got a little bit cocky there and Rocky took advantage, uh, worked on the arm, try to set up for, you know, his various arm submissions. But then Clark just overpowered him, hit that big spear, that uh, spin-out powerbomb, and was able to uh, defeat Rocky. And it looks like, you know, Clark might be, you know, a force to reckon with, maybe potentially in the, in the junior division. Yeah, he cut a post-match promo um, talking about the junior division. So it looks like, you know, while Strong is open weight, he's probably looking to rack up some junior victories in route to... New Japan proper. Right. And if we do get a best of the Super Juniors some point this year and they can get guys over, I think it would be great to get guys like uh, Clark Connors into the tournament. I think what needs to happen is Strong needs to get a junior title. You think so? And then a heavyweight title. <laughs> oh, man. And then, a t- and then heavyweight tag titles. More more titles, <laughs> and then and then an open weight trios titles, <laughs> and, then and finally a, a junior women's tag, junior tag no women's junior <laughs> tag title. <laughs> oh man, that's what needs to happen. 
No, they need to have as as least titles as possible. Nah, stop trying to hold all the talent <laughs> back. Uh, I think we we might we might end up getting strong tag team titles. Nah, uh, but I mean, I would just rather maybe like the winner of tag turbulence get an uh, IWGP tag title shot. What what they need to do is crown strong champions in every one of those areas I mentioned, and then once a year we'll have USA versus Japan champion versus champion and the you know the strong heavyweight champion will take on the world heavyweight iwgp champion mm. yeah so we do like for, a for brand supremacy <laughs> teams of five will strive to survive there will be a five-man elimination match especially handpicked team each year mm. for and they'll they'll fight for bragging rights <laughs> Oh man! So uh, let's move on to our main event here. We and had... then the next week we will never mention who won, who lost, what the stakes <laughs> were, anything, nothing <laughs> at all. Uh, uh, so we had the strong open weight <laughs> championship. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawler, of course, accompanied by J.R. Kratos, took on the Alpha Wolf Carl Fredericks. What do you think about this uh, main event title match here? Um. I think f- so far of all the strong title matches, this was the weakest. Uh, it's not to say it wasn't a good match. I think it was probably the match of the night. Um, but um, there there were some things that I, I just kind of felt critical about. Uh, the match went 18 minutes. They got a good amount of time, which is great. But at 18 minutes, I was kind of expecting a more compelling and competitive match. And it kind of felt like Tom Waller just ate up Carl Fredericks. Right, because it seemed like the, the story of the match, at least towards the beginning, you had Fredericks trying to kind of prove that he could grapple with Filthy Tom and get him in submissions and get him in holes. Um, I think that kind of backfired on him because once uh, Filthy Tom kind of started picking him apart, like yeah, like you mentioned, he was just eating him alive. Pretty much any time that uh, Fredericks would get any momentum, Tom would cut him off immediately. He'd go for like a signature spine buster or the drop kick and uh, – Lawler was just always one step ahead of him, cutting him off and getting him in, in submission holes or, or, or throwing him around. And here's the thing. Um, there's nothing wrong with a story where, you know, someone wrestles from underneath and another guy, you know, is dominant on top, especially if that's, again, like I mentioned, the story. And, I mean, I've seen plenty of matches where that was done, you know, super effectively and in a compelling manner to where, like, it gets sympathy on the guy. He's fiery from underneath. You know, you live and breathe with this hope spots, but this never really, this didn't feel that way. Maybe it was, I don't know. It might've just been, um, seeing Carl in this type of match for the first time, um, might've been part of it. I, I also think the lack of crowd with that type of story probably played a contributing, um, was a contributing factor, but yes, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, cause normally, yeah, you do that story. You, you want the crowd to kind of, you know, get sympathy and like kind of be cheering Frederick. So anytime he gets cut off, you know, they'd be kind of living and dying with him and cheering him on. Like, come on, Carl, like getting in, getting behind him. And one, one last thing with this is like, you know, a lot of matches in new Japan this year that have, um, been main events and not just this year. I mean, it's been an ongoing thing, but especially this year and last year, the main events typically tend to have a certain type of length, certain type of match layout, you know, and there's certain things you sort of expect from it. 
And I've actually heard a lot of voices kind of critical of that. And I think I'm probably amongst them right now, in my opinion, of the house style. But um, with this match, the way it was kind of laid out and with Filthy sort of just kind of like cutting them off and, you know, them kind of wrestling like a slower sort of methodical pace, I sort of expected in at the tail end for there to be some number of like back and forth and, you know, kind of big hope spots and then, you know, a big like uh, finish because that's kind of what I've become accustomed to out of these main events with New Japan. And instead it sort of felt like, yes, Carl Fredericks did get the, um, uh, the manifest destiny. Yeah. But, but the way they shot it, it was just, it was one of those things where filthy got to the ropes but they shot it in a way to where, like, as soon as he landed, you're like, he's too close to the ropes. Like, right. There's no possible way he's not going to get to those ropes because, I mean, he's, like, literally t- almost touching it. So that didn't help with the drama. And then when Filthy finally did catch him, it was kind of like – it was literally in the middle of a Carl Fredericks sequence. So it just kind of came from nowhere, um, which I'm not opposed to a flash victory, you know, but – the match that preceded it kind of just was already, in my opinion, a little slower. And then there, there didn't feel like a lot that was given. I don't feel like they gave a lot to Carl, you know? Yeah, not at all. Yeah, def- definitely. It was a, a filthy Tom showcase and Tom kind of ate him up here. Uh, one thing I did like, though, uh, you know, filthy Tom being a heel, we're, we're not seeing a ton of interference in his matches. And I liked him at one point towards the end. Um, Fredericks had him in the STF and uh, he, pull, he was pulling the hair and gouging the eyes to get out of the hole. So doing little things like that uh, to cheat and get heat and not having to have, you know, somebody interfere or run in or choke somebody out with a, a garrote wire. I uh, really like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, um, Lawler just kind of cuts him off, hits the uh, mid-rope DDT, hits the, the PK, one, two, three, puts Fredericks away, retains the title. Uh, you know, throwing a little disrespect there by using, you know, Shibata's PK to beat one of his boys. Uh, then post-match, it seemed like uh, he was trying to shake uh, Carl's hand, but then he ends up getting beat down by Lawler and J.R. Kratos. Then my man Kojima makes the save. Um, then he grabs the mic and he says, I'm the next challenger. I will kick your ass. So at some point in the future, we're getting Satoshi Kojima versus Filthy Tom for the strong openweight championship. Does Filthy Tom Lawler have a finish? What is his finish? He's been using the rare naked choke uh, for majority of his matches. Okay, because I mean, I know he does a lot of submissions, and that is one of the things I do really like about Tom Lawler is uh, I've seen him finish guys with various different, you know, submission holds. So there's not that feeling like, you know, he, he puts a guy in an arm bar and it's like, oh, well, he's not going to finish it. It's like, no, he could easily finish it. So that's kind of nice. But, um, yeah, I was a little surprised to see him beat him with the PK here. I mean, I got that what was happening because – and I've seen him use the PK before, so it's not like it's not in his repertoire. And and then the fact that he was using it as like a, a jab at uh, Shibata, you know, and taking out his prize student – that was kind of cool, but at the same time, I was almost like, it's cool, but I mean, what's the story here? Is it going to be like that you're going to run through the LA Dojo? Is it that you're trying to goad something out of Shibata, even though he's not really featured much on the show? Or is it just one of those things where it's like, we're just going to do it just because, and 
you know, we'll figure it, we'll figure out what we're doing in the future. You know, I don't know. Right. It, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. I think in the moment, it's just kind of like a heel tactic, going to get some heat on Filthy Tom. But yeah, it could lead to him, you know, facing off against Clark Connors and Alex Coughlin. Maybe you get Gabe Kidd back and have him just kind of, you know, face off against these LA dojos. Maybe eventually it's kind of a story where maybe in a year or however long, Carl Fredericks comes back and they have a rematch and he, he beats Filthy Tom. He should have to fight... Uh former young line Hiroshi Tanahashi for, you know, because of his disrespect. <laughs> um, but you were saying something about, uh, I, I don't remember what it was actually. Uh, I was mentioning uh, Kojima, Filthy Tom. Is- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Kojima came out, you did a good job kind of recapping that. Um, that, that was kind of like a cool little, you know, cherry on top. Um, you know, obviously, Kojima is back in Japan, you know, um, gearing up for this, uh, you know, old man summer storyline that they got going on. <laughs> Old's on top. <laughs> Old's on top. So uh, it does make me, uh, you know, a little reticent or hesitant about what his chances are with Tom Lawler. I mean, did they already shoot that? Is that something that's happened or could that perhaps – I don't know, maybe be like a resurgence match. Maybe like Kojima's going to come back to the States. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like my guys tell me that they, they already have it taped. Uh, I feel like they kind of capitalized with Kojima and Nagata. I mean, we're seeing, you know, Austin Nagata's back in Japan and he's in the, uh, he's in the uh, tag team turbulence. And so Austin Nagata's been back in Japan for a while now. So I think with Kojima, they probably already have that match taped. And, you know, Kojima's been having a, you know, great year. You know, he, just challenge for the Impact Tag Titles. It's going to be the Never Six Man Title Match coming up. Now he's getting a strong title match. Man, yeah, absolutely. Stays in championship I'm, matches. Yeah, I mean, this has been one of the most active years he's had in I don't know if, since probably like 2015, 2016, something like that. So um, that's pretty cool, and you know, lots of really cool moments throughout the year. And it uh, sounds like him and Filthy could potentially be another one. We talked about this off the air. The one thing, the the one feeling I have, although I'm excited to see the match, and I don't want to be Debbie Downer because you know I think both guys are superb wrestlers and capable of having you know a really fun, competitive, entertaining encounter. I just don't know what that match looks like, realistically. Um, obviously both guys hit really hard, but when I think of like the style that Kojima's used to, to wrestling these days and then the, the style that Filthy's wrestling, I'm like, I don't know. It's total like, uh, you know, fire pro style match. Like, I don't know what we, we're going to get. Right. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, Kojima's just not much of a grappler, definitely a striker. And so I think we'll get some good strike exchanges, but yeah, I'm not quite sure how, what this, what the layout of this match looks like. I mean, if it was up to you, it, it'd probably end with the strongest lariat, right? Oh, yeah. Strongest lariat, uh, Koji Cutter, and getting a, a new strong open weight champion. Have my man Kojima going into the, the LA torch as a champ. I want Kojima and Court Bauer to get back together and have him bring the title to MLW. Oh, yes. We, we should have. There should be a uh, Kojima. I, you know, in the states, I wish they could have worked something out. Maybe they did, and it's taped already. And we don't know about it, but it, it would have been cool to have Kojima uh, do some MLW and get a an MLW shot against Jacob Fatu. 
Um, speaking of Kojima, we have a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. How hyped are you for Kojima versus Philly Tom? When was his last singles title challenge before this one? And any favorite Kojima matches you recommend? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty hyped just as a Kojima fan. I can talk about, I'm not sure what the magic layout is actually going to look like, uh, but I think it should still be a, a pretty good match. Um, looking at cage match, I believe it looks like his last uh, singles title match. Might oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Don't tell me. Okay. His last singles title match was when he challenged at Fantastic Mania for the CMLL World Heavyweight title. Yep, against uh, Ultimo Guerrero. Yeah, and uh, that was a match that I was like, this is going to be awesome, and then it was just okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, I was like, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, how far back does this go? And I was actually pulling up cage match myself, and I was like, was he part? I, I almost was like, did him and Shibata have that? Was he part of that third generation feud? And I was like, nah, he never had a match. And then I was like, oh, I remember. Fantastic Mania. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this Kojima run, he's he's making up for, you know, lost time from, you know, last two years of Fantastic Mania because, you know, normally he's featured there and he's having a big rivalry and a lot of big matches on those tours. So, yeah, so him, he's uh, getting getting his, uh, his time back here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what was the rest of the question? Uh, any favorite Kojima matches that we can recommend? Oh, um, hmm. That that's a great question. Um, I I really 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 like his match with uh, oh, um, definitely one of the Hashimoto matches. I'm trying to remember which one I like better. If it was the '98 uh, New Japan match, or I think they had an All Japan Triple Crown match from like 2001 that I like a lot. Mm. Uh, I really like his uh, match with uh, Tanahashi at the uh, 2012 uh, New Beginning. That was a really good match. Oh, it was 2003. Yeah, I I really liked the match with him and Hashimoto from 2003. Um, him and Kawada from all Japan for the triple crown in 2005. That's up there. Uh, the tens on series that he had in Oh five. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Um, 2013, uh, destruction against Okada. That match is good. Uh, him and Tanahashi in the dome. Yeah. is really, really great. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, the Will Ospreay match from this year. Yeah, the, the no DQ match. That match is awesome. Uh, the match like really ruled. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that match. Uh, there's his uh, random, uh, you know, six man unit where he teamed up with Ricochet and Finley to take on the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. Yeah, so there's a lot of really good like Kojima stuff out there. Uh, all that I'd recommend him and Tenru, O2 and All Japan. Yeah. A lot, a lot of good stuff there from the leader of the Bread Club. <sighs> bread Club's not real. <laughs> <laughs> bread Club's a state of mind, man. <laughs> uh, so coming up this week on Strong, we will have the Fireworks Frenzy and in honor to celebrate uh, the 4th of July coming up. And so we'll have uh, Leo Rush taking on Adrian Quest, Hikaleo taking on Jordan Clearwater, and then the main event of Fred Rosser and Bateman, which we saw built up uh, a couple weeks ago with that tag team match. This might be 
in my opinion, the one of the most um, one of my least anticipated strong episodes. Uh, there's a lot of good wrestlers here, but for some reason, they're like matches I would have never really put together. This feels like one of those like you know. Uh, I don't know, get by shows. Yeah, it definitely feels like filler. You know, we have two weeks until the tag team turbulence starts. So I'm sure it's like, all right, let's kind of just throw something out in, the, you know, filler episode until we get to the tournament. I saw a match with Leo Rush and Adrian Quest uh, for that primetime, what was it called? UWN. Uh, yeah, UWN, yeah, that kind of pseudo NWA fight TV thing. And that was okay. So, I mean, I'm sure Leo Rush and Adrian Quest will be good, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Hick Leo and Jordan Clearwater doesn't like yeah, you know, rock my world. I don't think that's <laughs> going to be great. Um, Rosser and Bateman should be all right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like I'm not the biggest like Rosser fan, but he's probably like on the docket as like most improved for the company this year. Like and I think he stands a good chance to win the award. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm still like talking shit every week. <laughs> 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 but like he, he'll probably get my vote we'll see i don't know i'm not sure who else could be up there uh yeah right now i'm not thinking of anybody else that i'm like man i, I might uh, i might put you i might put yoshihashi on there again uh what about uh tangaloa possibly yeah. i guess we'll talk about it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let's uh, shift gears now to Kazuna Road. Uh, last week, we uh, failed to mention what happened after the never six-man title match between Chaos and Bull Club. And that's because I-, I watched the match right before it recorded, saw Chaos won, and stopped the stream, and didn't realize that there was a uh, post-match angle. We had the third-generation uh, members coming out, Nagata, Kojima, and Tenzon. They immediately came out, challenged uh, chaos, the guy took the mic, which led to Nagata and Ishii getting into it, creating a, a kind of wild, crazy brawl and uh, shifting up some stuff for these upcoming tours. Uh, and backstage, Ishii said that after uh, three defenses against Bull Club, the group was in the rear view mirror, and Chaos only has their eyes for the third gen, uh, which led to uh, a change in the uh, Kazuna Road 23rd uh, show where we got a uh, change up in the 10 man tag and then uh, some. Interesting matches coming up on the first and the second, but let's look up this uh, 23rd show first. So we had the conclusion of the, the five-match trial series for Suji and Yumura. So opening up, we had Great Okan defeating Suji at 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, last week we actually, that was the only thing we missed. One of the other things, when we were talking the schedule, we talked about the Dome show, and I kind of treated it because i wasn't totally aware that i was treating it as if it was taking place after the olympics and i'm finding out now it's actually happening mid-olympics yeah which like i don't know i guess you could throw out like a quarter of what i said on that topic last week (laughs) (laughs) uh i think it was probably because i was high on methamphetamine um i I really wasn't uh but as far as this great okan suji match um this one was interesting because i mean you had the battle of the former um, Tanahashi senpais. Mm, yeah. You know? And, um, you know, there's kind of been a little bit of beef between Okan and Suji this year even. And so f- for him to finish out the uh, his trial series against him was kind of interesting. Yeah, we had uh, Okan was trying to get 
Suji to join the Empire when Okan was feuding with Tanahashi over the Never Openweight title earlier this year, and you know Suji refusing to uh, turn his back on Tanahashi and um, kind of being Tanahashi's corner for that Never Openweight title match. Um, I call that the uh, Bruce the Barber Beefcake slash Jim the Anvil Nine Heart Spot because <laughs> uh, early on at the formation of both groups, the NWO and DX both offered spots initially to both uh well the nwo had offered a spot to bruce the barber beefcake they acted like they're bringing him in as their fourth man like yeah. he, he was going to be the first big recruit and then he was like all about it and then they beat his ass <laughs> <laughs> and um dx did the same thing i don't know if you remember like after the montreal screw job they brought in jim the M- yeah. jim the info nightheart the next night and they like acted like they're offering him a spot and he was like all about it and then they low blow him and beat his ass out of the group so that's a uh, Suji was in that spot basically. And, and Suji watches tape. He's like, I, I know how this ends. I, I will not be finessed by the great Okan. And then Okan's like, all right, well then we'll just give you that speeding anyway. <laughs> right, I'll still go beat your ass. So here, <laughs> hold this. <laughs> but um, this match was interesting, just in the sense that like it was kind of an Okan match, and Suji's just sort of you know played the the lion to Okan's graduated superstar you know working his gimmick um I, I would even probably go as far as to say even though i like okan matches i didn't find this to be the most compelling suji this is probably for me the bottom rung of the suji five match series probably yeah i feel like this match had the potential to be better but also i think they were trying to tell a story here and, and like kind of stories <laughs> telling stories <laughs> Uh, kind of similar to the Lawler match in a way where Great Okan just kind of ate Suji up and Suji didn't really get much offense in. He, he tried to outstrike Okan, didn't work. He tried to outpower Okan, didn't work. And Okan just kind of cut him off at every pass until he got him into a Boston Crab and got him to submit. I was listening to someone recently. I don't remember who it was, but some wrestling personality. And they were talking about how you always hear commentators be like, well, we tell stories and, like, this person's like, no, you don't. That is not your job. You don't tell stories. The wrestlers tell the stories. Your job is to narrate the story that they're telling in the ring. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, your job is actually not necessary because if you weren't there, we could still see the story play out, you know, for the audience. You just happen to be the people that are adding, you know, and observing and commenting on it. You know, you don't tell the story at all. Right. <laughs> Which, um, you know, some people probably say it's nitpicky, but I completely agree with that uh, philosophy. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, and we've seen, you know, especially like during the G1, we've seen matches without commentary, and they're, they're still great. They, the story still comes across, and yes, commentary is great, and I do, I do love good commentary, but yeah, you should definitely be able to get, be able to get into a match with his story without commentary. Also a big mark for the uh, one, two, three, go. Is that the name of the wrestling? Uh, three, two, one, battle. Three two one battle slash. Uh, they also do it at Kaiju where they do the commentary over the loud mic yes. in house. <laughs> yeah, that's always pretty entertaining as well. <laughs> but um, the next match of the night was the final match for Yuya Yamura as he battled Golden Star Kota Ibushi. And uh, Kota Ibushi beat him 13 minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, this match was raw. This is probably one of 
the best out of the uh, you the, more serious. This is, the, this is the best out of the whole thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Abushi, he unlike in the, in the Okan match, Abushi gave Yomura a lot. There's a lot of great striking here uh, between Abushi and Yomura. A lot of great sequences here, and Yomura getting some uh, good offense on Abushi and Abushi pretty much kind of treating it like almost like a, it's like a regular matchup. You know, not you know taking advantage of the young line here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, my one of my favorite things was Abushi rocking a reverse uh, full Nelson. Yes, on yes, that was dope. That was something where, like, I saw it. I reached my hand out, made a fist, put that fist in my pocket, and said, "I got that. <laughs> I'm taking that. That stolen's mine now." Yeah, I think that would be a pretty cool finisher. Nah, I've got to finish. <laughs> I gotta finish. It's not that, but that move is raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was dope. Uh, and yeah, just Abushi was just like, yeah, striking the crap out of uh, Yamura here. Dave went four stars on this. I don't know if I'm quite that high. Uh, I'm not that high. Also, Dave went four stars on Jared Kratos and uh, Kojima. Kojima. Again, that as, match wasn't four stars either. No, as a Kojima mark, I did not. I didn't go four stars on that. I think I went three and a half. On the Kojima match, and I think I'm like Dave's losing it, bro. <laughs> I'm like three and a half, maybe three point seven five. Here's what it is: is Dave spending all his time watching that shitty Jacksonville promotion, right? <laughs> and then uh, he's not used to like really, really, really good like Japanese style anymore. And then every time he turns on, it's like holy fuck, four <laughs> stars. <laughs> Did you see the way they were chopping each other? Where did this Yumora kid come from? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a real good match. I think it's the best series. I think I would probably maybe go 3.75 on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. But yeah, r- really good match here. And uh, For me, match of the night. Yeah, Abushi at the end here, he locks in a really deep uh, single crab, like a, like a lion tamer single crab. Uh, on to you more to get the submission win here. Yeah. And then uh, post-match, you know, Bushi was very respectful to Yamura, kind of raising his hand and trying to get the crowd to really kind of like cheer for him. So some respect shown here. On the subject of Young Lions, did you notice that they just uploaded a bunch of uh, Young Lion matches to New Japan World? I did, yeah. Yeah, there's like ones with like Goto and Okada and... Uh, Taguchi and then some even some like really older ones from like the 80s and 90s so I want to check that stuff out because I mean that's not stuff you see every day it's not like tape traders or you know back in the day we're like oh man you gotta see these young lion matches so it's pretty cool that we have some limited act access to some of that stuff on the world now yeah I'm glad they're starting to upload some more of that stuff that's not up there uh, from the archive bro, bro their archive is so like <sighs> Incomplete. It's kind of crazy. I know. I was like looking through some years, you know, because uh, next week will be my pick for recommend match. I was trying to look through. I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff missing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot missing. <laughs> uh, so, so move to the next match here. So here's the match that was changed up due to the uh, third gen challenging. We had the chaos team of Goto, Okada, Ishiyano, and Yoshihashi defeating the team of Tenzan, Kojima, Makabe, Hanma, and Yuji Nagata, 13 minutes and 19 seconds, building up for the upcoming Never Six-Man title match uh, that we're having on Friday. Uh, Really good match here, a lot of great interactions. You have a lot of really good uh, wrestlers in this match. Um, 
closing stretch there was good with Hanma and Ishii. Uh, kind of reliving a little bit of the magic that they, that they normally have together. Uh, Hanma pulling out a brain buster on Ishii was what popped me. Um, but eventually Ishii hit his brain buster on Hanma at the end to get the win. Then uh, moving on, we had the Sugun team of Desperado, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. So once again, just continued build for the upcoming uh, tag team title match between uh, Techers and Naito and Sonata. Uh, Despy gets a pin on Bushi. Um, they also they did they did uh, beat up Hiromu uh, at the beginning of the match because uh, Naito wanted Hiromu to open the ropes for him. Um, he was doing that. Taichi like kicked Hiromu off the turnbuckle there, and with Bushi eating the pin, I'm wondering whenever Hiromu's coming back, if we're gonna get you know Hiromu and Bushi challenging. Uh, for the junior tag titles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we will see because this, uh, you know, this entire division is like sort of on ice. Right. And then we... In the mud. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the main event here, speaking of the junior tag team titles, they were on the line. We had El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori Defeat Rapungi 3K Show and Yo 26 minutes 43 seconds. Young boy, what do you think about this main event here? So the main event uh didn't necessarily play out the way I was thinking it was going to. Um, you know, it looks like again we have gone the route of crowning new champions, Phantasma and Taiji Ishimori, you know, and this is on the heels of Ishimori you know, uh, turning around and preparing to challenge for the IWGB title against El Desperado. Um, it feels like we've seen that sort of (laughs) thing play out, you know, over the past couple title reigns. So kind of interesting, but we kind of talked, we discussed that last week. As far as the match goes, I talked earlier in this episode about the, the main event style of new Japan pro wrestling in over the past year or so and probably even going further back than then but you know it's really to a certain extent become formulaic you know you often have the first half maybe even you know two-thirds of the of the the match where aside from a, a good opener um it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of i don't know like there's a lot of fluff a lot of filler there's not a lot of um heat behind what they're doing you know and then they go to a close and the close is usually fantastic but it feels like you know they they could be filling the time better and that's sort of what this match felt like like was the match good yeah it was good but i mean you know it it kind of just felt victim in my opinion to the the necessity for whatever reason that new japan feels i i understand they want to give their the fans their money's worth but the feeling that they have to go 27 minutes, 30 minutes plus every single match, even if the, the, the story or the feud maybe doesn't even nest, you know, um, call for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing too, is like, I know Phantasma and Ishimori haven't teamed together as extensively as some of the other junior tag teams that are in this division, but, over the past two years, it really does kind of feel like it's just been Rapongi 3K, 
Suzuki Goon and the Junior Bull Club team kind of just trading the titles back and forth, challenges, you know, junior title matches, and then, you know, you mix in, you know, the five-man eliminations, you mix in six-man tags and eight-man tags and everything like that. It just feels like it's a never-ending round robin of these guys fighting each other, you know, in perpetuity. Right, yeah. I mean, like you said, I, I thought this was, I mean, the work was good. This was, uh, as far as, like, the actual wrestling, it, it was pretty good. Uh, but to me, it just felt like, you know, just another old Rapungi 3K match. And I feel like whenever Rapungi 3K are kind of put in a, a main event situation where they have to uh, defend the titles, it, it just doesn't come off. Like, it doesn't, it's never really like a standout, like, great match. You don't really remember it. Um, I feel like they're, they're matches I remember that when they're kind of in the opener when they're or they're facing a team like the Young Bucks. Uh, we've seen them time and time again now against Bull Club, against Suzuki Goon, uh, and these matches they're they're always pretty much almost the same match. Like they're they're good matches, but I, you kind of want a little bit more. For me, I feel like Sho and Yo are the tag team equivalent to Sonata. Hmm. You know. Um, now, in in their in that same respect, they're more successful at what they do than Sonata is as a singles wrestler. But there's kind of some parallels to where it's like, with the right opponent in the right situation, they can they can excel. You know, they're supremely talented, good looking, over with the crowds, have superstars written all over them. But sometimes the sum of their parts doesn't equal to what you think it should when when it comes to the bell to bell. And does that mean that they're not good wrestlers? No, they're fantastic wrestlers, just like Sonata is. But sometimes you feel like there's something missing, mm-hmm. you know, from the package. Where I think Suzuki Goon kind of um, gets over. Uh, and and you know what's funny? They kind of are like Sonata. Wow, this this parallel is working out really well because to me, Sonata is more compelling, and exciting, and a better performer when it comes to tags. You right. put that guy in a tag, and like he's fucking incredible you know put him in a singles he's really good but there's like a, it feels like there's a ceiling you know right that's what i think it about suzuki or uh i've been saying suzuki i'm sorry uh Rapongi 3k um with them i feel like as a tag team they're very good but there's a ceiling but as singles performers i'm usually more compelled by each of them in single situations as opposed to them as a tag team. I mean, you take a look at their their catalog of great matches. I know it's not always just about the star ratings, but sometimes when it comes down to, like, you take a look at their title, they've held the titles a bunch of times, and they've won the tag tournaments a bunch of times. But when you look at the catalog, I mean, there there's a lot of good matches, but there's very few truly classic great matches. And that's not something you would have said about the generation of tag junior tag team performers that kind of preceded them, you know, forever hooligans, red dragon, young bucks, you know, the list goes on and on. I mean, there's a bunch of them and Apollo 55, you know, golden lovers. I mean, those, all those teams were putting out banger after banger, you know, week in and week out. And I don't feel that way about any of the junior tag teams that exist right now, to be honest with you in, in new Japan at all. And I haven't for a while. Right, you know, like you mentioned, all those junior teams kind of set the precedent of kind of this, you know, high pace, high flying, uh, hard hitting action, and we have not been getting that with the junior tag team titles with 
you know, with Rapungi 3K and Bull Club and Sugigun kind of being in, in the main mix here. And I think, you know, Rapungi 3K, man, I just think they're they're so stale now as a team. You've you've literally done every story possible you can with these guys. They they've won the titles multiple times. They they've won the tournaments. They've had comebacks. They've had to overcome Suzuki Goon. They've had to overcome Bullet Club. They've came back from injuries. Uh, I I just feel like we're it's kind of you know in a flat circle with them now. I think it's time. I think they they, they gotta kind of do something with these guys in a single role. Like you mentioned, we're, we're like. Show and Yo, when they're in the Super Juniors or singles matches, Show is facing off, you know, Shingo or Never Tyler's matches, doing some really compelling stuff. And I think it's at the point now that they got to break these guys up. I know we talk about it all the time. We get questions about it all the time. When are they going to break up? Who's going to turn on two? Who's going to be the heel? Who's going to be the face? Not sure about that, but I think it's time that they need to break these guys up because it's just going to be the same kind of repetitive circle. These guys lose the belts. They, they go into the junior tag team tournament. They win the tag team tournament. They win the belts at Wrestle Kingdom, one or two defenses. They lose the belts and you know wash, rinse, repeat, and it's, it's just getting real stale, real stale, real old. And these guys are not spring chickens. I mean, they're in their you know mid to late thirties. You, you got to do something with these guys now. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. And you know what? I don't want this entire thing to be, you know, a session where we just pile on um, Rapongi three K. But I think that them being the standard bearers of the division and the division feeling so stale, it kind of is what's causing some of that indictment to, you know, be poured out and the vitriol be poured out against them. Um, but I mean, I feel the same way, honestly, about um, the Ishimori and ELP at this point, mm. to be honest with you, like, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but if you really think back on it, when did these two kind of really establish themselves as a tag team? It's around the time that Robbie Eagles left Bull Club. That bro, that was like over two years ago. Yeah, that's crazy been, thing about. <laughs> they've been teaming a long time. And like just now, when we got that post match promo at Dominion where ELP tried to challenge and then Ishimori kind of like stopped him and took the took charge. That's the first time that there's been any sort of like even small sign of competitive nature between the two of them or you know any sort of strife just the fact that they're both on the level you know on the level to challenge for the junior title and they're kind of you know both aiming for that same goal but it just feels like man i mean same rotation of the same three teams i mean maybe four if you count Taguchi and wato at this point but i mean i don't know the this division is really lacking and I'm kind of tired of watching them, all of them wrestle each other at this point. Um, you know, hopefully with things getting better as far as the pandemic goes, they can bring someone in, but like, I'm like, God, please bring in anybody, like do something different because at this point, like, I don't know how many more Rapungi 3k Suzuki Goon, like matches I could stomach. Like, I don't think I could watch another one. In fact, like I'm almost at the point where I might boycott watching junior <laughs> tag team title matches until they bring, until they do one that's compelling. And I've never even done anything like that on this podcast, you know, ever. Yeah. Yeah. We need some new teams. We need some new juniors for both the singles and uh tag division. We need domestic juniors. We need uh, foreign juniors. We, yeah. We just, we need an influx of talent to uh, shake things up in this uh, junior division. 
And like you mentioned, it kind of stinks that we're kind of having to, uh, you know, critique it so badly because, you know, overall, I mean, these guys, they're working really hard, ha- having good match. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's tired of seeing the same guys going at it. Uh, ELP, he gets the win here with the sudden death. He uh, The boot was not loaded throughout the match. He loaded it up towards the end um, so that the ref wouldn't suspect, suspect anything. Hits the sudden death. They get the win. Uh, post-match, he, he brags about hiding uh, sudden death, and then uh, Ishimori uh, gets some mic, cuts his promo, and also they're building towards, like you mentioned, uh, him challenging Desperado later on in the uh, Summer Struggle Tour. Yeah, I mean, this was something that was pretty... Now, now that we've kind of got the complaining out of the way, the finish of the match was... Uh, pretty entertaining because I mean ELP has kind of been gone for a while he's now back and you know the whole time it's like we kind of forgot about sudden death he hadn't really been alluding to it they hadn't been um teasing it and then suddenly you know as if to say like you guys all forgot like he stomps on the foot and then you're like oh fuck and then like he and then he takes him out you're like oh shit they won yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man so yeah, Bullet Club once again the junior tag team champs. Uh, Ishimori going in as one half of the champs to take on Desperado. Uh, we had a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Do you think Taiji Ishimori and El Desperado will defend the titles? I think he meant uh, El Fantasma. Will they defend the titles outside of the company? Somewhere like Impact, since both of them have history there. Um, I mean, it's possible. Um... I, I'm almost. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I mean, do you do you see them sending uh, Ishimori overseas? I don't know. We have, we've been seeing very selected talent going overseas. They've been sending the dad that sent Nagata, Kojima. Uh, also, we've seen somebody like Kenta who lives in the states, kind of going back and forth. So yeah, I'm not sure if they'll send Ishimori. If they do, I think it does make sense uh, with him um, having experience in impact and X division. Also ELP just challenged Josh Alexander recently. Uh, so I think it'll make a ton of sense. Uh, I don't know who they would face. I, I mean, I think machine guns would be cool if you can get Alex Shelley to get vaccinated and get back in action. But um, outside of that, I'm not sure what like great kind of high flying teams that they would have to face off against these guys. I'm sure they've got a lot of junior guys, so there's stuff they could do. I'm pretty sure. But, uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. Impact put the title on Finn Juice for a bit. You know, is there a possibility that there could be, like, a make good where New Japan needs to, like, turn those junior titles (laughs) (laughs) over to a team on Impact, you know, to kind of, like, solidify and consolidate, you know, their partnership? I don't know. Uh, I don't find that to be likely, though. I mean, in the realm of impossible things that could happen, is it – outside of that realm that they might go to the States and wrestle impact guys like, no, but I mean, until I see it happen, I'm not counting on it. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the June 23rd show. Like I mentioned earlier, we got two shows coming up this week. So we have Thursday, July 1st, we're going to have Doki, Despi and Kanemaru taking on ELP, Jado and Taiji Ishimori. Second matchup, we're going to have Suzuki and Dangerous Techers taking on Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. And then we're going to have three big singles matches to build up to the Never Openweight title match. We're going to have Tenzon taking on Yoshihashi, Satoshi Kojima taking on Hiroki Goto, 
the main event will be Blue Justice, Yuji Nagata, taking on the Stone Pit Bull, Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, I'm very excited for this series. Um, you know, we've thrown lauded praises on the Chaos Six Man unit, you know, this year, last year. So, I mean, that's n- nothing to be surprised about. But, you know, if you could think of uh, cool units that they might be able to go up against, the remaining third generation dads, Nagata, Tenzan, Kojima. I mean, that's such a formidable group. It gives something compelling uh, for everyone to do. And in most cases, you would count out the third generation, but because it's the never open weight six man tag team titles, you can't count them out. But besides that, you're getting um, everyone sort of fired up and talking shit and, you know, a lot of hate filled vitriol and you know, we're obviously we're getting Nagata and, and Ishii out of it. So that's something I'm not going to complain about. Like there's a good chance that might even be like a fight of the year contender by the end of the year. Yeah. And, um, one of the, like, I love the backstage comments that they've been making to each other. Like Ishii's talking that shit. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, we'll be happy to give you guys some final memories before you go. <laughs> Yeah, the promos <laughs> have been great between both these teams. Um, you know, looking at these uh, singles matches, you know, any other time of the year, I would say, well, it looks like Yoshihashi would win, Goto would beat Kojima, and Ishii would beat Nagata. But I feel like you have to have at least one of these third-gen dads win to build up some heat for the, the title match, right? Um. You're saying, do I think the third generation dads need some victories to kind of build up anticipation? Right, yeah. I think at least one, maybe two of these guys got to get some wins here to uh, build some victory. I don't think we're going to see a chaos clean sweep. Dude, let me tell you something. If there's a chaos clean sweep, you can bet your ass that the third generation dads are winning the titles. Right. (laughs) Which I could see that booking makes sense to me, you know? Yeah. I think Um, last time they did this, it was with the Bullet Club team, and that's when uh, Taiji beat Goto in in a singles match again. Um, And I think Kenta beat Yoshihashi. Um, Yeah, I could see um, the third-generation dads picking up some victories, possibly. Um, I'm not sure which ones I see. The one that would probably be the most likely is Nagata beating Ishii. Yeah, I mean, I, um, he could uh, do Kojima over Goto, especially with Kojima getting, you know, the number one contender for the strong championship. I'm not sure how much that really plays into domestic booking, but you could you could do it because of their standings in the company, especially this year and everything. But historically speaking, bro, Nagata hasn't beat a top contender heavyweight, bro, in singles action for like seven years or something like that. It's something that people don't really pick up on or realize, but like since like his G since his final G one, like he hasn't beat anybody really, he, he you know, he beat Suzuki in that, uh, Udi, Nagata. Udi, no, I'm talking about Kojima. Oh, Kojima. Okay. Yeah. Kojima hasn't. And so if he did beat Goto that, like at this point, it would be a huge, huge upset. Right. See, I can't, I can't think of the last, like big person that he's beat because obviously he lost to Shingo. I, I remember him beating. Uh, didn't he beat Yoshihashi? 
at some point. I he might have. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm on cage match, so I mean, I'm pulling it up, so we'll know here in a second. Um, and this is. I'm only counting New Japan proper, so nothing with like, you know, uh, no excursion matches, no strong or anything like that. But um. And and you know, and we're talking about non young lions and non juniors. You know. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I'm. I, I'll keep looking. You can continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, we're probably you're probably gonna have to scroll back. To, you're probably gonna have to scroll back to the last G one he was in. To be honest, because uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any time that he's really beaten anybody re- recently. Yeah, it was Sonata in 2017. Wow. He has had some victories outside of New Japan that are significant since then. Like he beat Suwama in All Japan in 2017. And he did defeat Walter in Rev Pro in 2018, you know. So I mean, it's not like he's completely dearth of singles wins, but I mean, yeah, bro. Like, it's like that's four or five years since he's had a significant singles win in New Japan. Um, so I would find it really hard to, and that was something we talked about this a while back when he had some, I mean, he's had some significant, like, you know, um, matches this year. I mean, he had the match with Kenta in the Dome. He wrestled Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb in the New Japan Cup. But, I mean, it's it's just been a really long time since Kojima's beat somebody. But he's got momentum coming off, you know, the strong run with Jared Kratos and everything like that. So who knows? Yeah, he's he's picked up wins on strong. He's picked up wins on impact. He's been very active in the last few months. Um a lot of focus on singles action where, you know, Goto's been focused on six-man action, so maybe that might come into play, a story they can tell there. I'll look up Tenzon, too, and see how far back that goes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think Yoshihashi should be able to uh, get the win here over Tenzon. I, I have a real hard time <laughs> seeing them put Tenzon over Yoshihashi. Um, I, I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Oh, um, it looks like Tenzon, the last time he had a sing, a big singles win was over Tamatonga in the 2016 G1. Wow. <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, this is something weird. So I'm, I pulled up all his singles matches and it's like, I don't even see, uh, I don't even see him wrestling like any young lions. Am I wrong? Didn't he have singles matches with uh, Katsuya Kitamura? Uh, maybe not. Oh, no, he did. It it's right here. Okay, yeah, 2018. And he beat Kitamura, who was a lion. So, but yeah, he hasn't had a singles a singles win over anybody of note in New Japan since 2016. So that's kind of what I'm basing my thoughts on. Is like, bro, I don't know if uh, <laughs> I find it really. But like with Nagata, Nagata still pulls out an upset win here and there over top guys right, like to this day. The so. Upset over Suzuki, and then he, he just recently had the the U.S. title match against Mister John Moxley. Um, and so, obviously, he, and he's going to be in the Tag Team Turbulence Tour on, on Strong. So, Nagata's still very active as well, winning some big matches, kind of getting his name out there. And so, yeah, he's, he's just one, you know, backdrop suplex away from 
beating somebody. So I could see him kind of doing the same thing he did to Suzuki, catching Ishii off guard with that, that backdrop suplex and getting the win. Yeah. Um, my most likely, this is going to be the booking I'm going to predict. Um, Chaos wins all three of these matches, and then they drop the belts afterwards to the third generation dads. Uh, I'm going to have I'm going to have Nagata getting the upset over Ishii, and then Goto and Yoshihashi winning. Um, now I also think we're going to get new never six man champs. What's your over under for the match quality of Nagata Ishii? I'm going four. Yeah, I'll, I'll set the floor at four stars. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm very, very, very excited about. Can't and, wait and, for that. And that's one of those main events that I think would benefit from the 20-plus minute time. You, you give Nagata at each E 20-plus minutes, like, they'll mess around and have a five-star match <laughs> on this Cork and Hall card. <laughs> yeah, very, very possibly. Um, but that's that's a card that I'm super excited about, and I mean, I... You know, I don't get super excited for New Japan cards these days, so that's one that looks really great. Uh, the next day, Friday, July 2nd, we have a pretty interesting card. Abushi against Suji in the opener. Shingo Takagi against Yui Mora. after that. There's a Suzuki-Goon six-man tag of Desperado, Suzuki, and Kanemaru taking on the Bull Club team of Phantasmo, Chato, and Ishimori. Uh, Suzuki Gun team of Doki, Taichi, and ZSJ taking on LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. And then the main event will be the Never Openweight Six Man Tag Team titles as Chaos Defense against the New Japan Dads, the third generation. So a lot to kind of uh, unload with this card. Uh, this one looks good too. Yeah, another saw card here. Uh, the the five match gone is, is officially over for Suji and Yamura, but they're getting two more singles matches here. And this is obviously to preview um, the upcoming title match between Ibushi and Shingo. Both of these guys kind of getting some tune-up work uh, before the Dome on July 25th. Uh, I think if uh, Suji wins, he gets the title shot is what I understand. I mean, that that would make the most sense. I, I, yeah, he beats. Oh, my God. Don't be a coward, Ghetto. Give <laughs> Suji the fucking strap. <laughs> Put or, a rocket on this man. Or you could have, you could have Yomura, uh pull the upset on Chingo, and then you have to turn it into a three way. Three way. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because anytime you have a, a really really great match, what could possibly make it better? But adding a third man to it. Right. Or you could also have Suji upset Ibushi along with Yomura upsetting Shingo, and then it's a four way. Or they could do what All Japan just did, have. Uh, a series of matches where the first person to beat two guys in a row during that night will become the champion. Yeah, I, I saw, I heard that series, and I, had, I heard a lot of people having a hard time explaining the rules to that series. Well, bro, because okay, so like New Japan it, and different companies have done this, but like for instance, New Japan at one point had a vacancy for the WWF. Uh, junior heavyweight title which at the time was the prim- that was the top junior title in new japan um even though it was wwf <laughs> and um they had a they had a a three-way gauntlet between and it was one it was always confusing because they considered it one match quote unquote mm-hmm. but essentially it was a gauntlet round robin between the cobra davy boy smith and dynamite kid this is like 84 84 84 it was after uh 
Tiger Mask vacated the title um, and left wrestling briefly before he went back, before he went to UWF. Um, And the way that that worked was each man wrestled each other during the night one time. And then you got points and the winner was the guy with, you know, the most points at the end plus tiebreaker, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, pretty simple, you know, each guy faces each other once and then you end up with, with, you know, your points. And they did this famously in the 97 All Japan uh, Champions Carnival. But that's not what that what All Japan just did. What they did was a series of matches determined by random draw order where the guy who won it, who ended it, had to be the first guy to, to beat both opponents back to back. So hypothetically, it could have gone on forever. forever. Yeah. You know, someone could have beat one guy and then lost to the next guy. And then that guy would have lost the next guy and then just keep going because someone had to win two times in a row. Luckily for them, they only did – they booked it so they only did three matches. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, they could have easily – like, it was – and you know what's funny? They could have just called it around Robin with the three-match feature because that's all they ended up doing anyways. Right. It would have been a lot less confusing. It would have made a lot of sense. Uh, but I think that that's what uh, New Japan should do regardless with Shingo – Yui Mora and Kota Ibushi, you know, or or they can do uh, what TNA did to crown the first X Division champion, uh, a four way double elimination match. So it's a four way, but you have to get pinned twice before you're eliminated. No, what what they did in uh, TNA was they did a reverse battle royal. And then the last two guys wrestled. No, it was, was it a gauntlet for the gold. Is that what it was? Uh, not not for the first exhibition champion. No, I'm talking about for the NWA title. Uh, yeah, NWA. Yeah, they did a gauntlet for the gold thing. Yeah. What was gauntlet for the gold? It was just so a... a gauntlet for the gold was a, a Royal Rumble, but then the last two guys had to wrestle in a regular match. And it was basically Royal Rumble, like it was time intervals, and then they came out right. Right, and then the last two, the referee would come in and pinfall submission. <laughs> I think the final two was Ken Shamrock and the Wall. Yeah. <laughs> they called him what Malice, I, I believe. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. It's been years, but yeah, that, that you know what? New Japan should do that. Same shit. <laughs> you know, why stop there? Let's let's get a King of the Mountain match going with the penalty box and everything. Yes, let's get these four guys. Let's get King of the Mountain. Get a penalty box. Get a pin. Grab the the world title. Hang it up there. Here's what I need. If if we're gonna go this route and we're gonna take a guy who was a jobber and suddenly give him a couple wins and then put the strap on him. Um, it needs to be Suji because he's got the body for it, and then he needs goons. Yes. Okay. A la uh, Jinder. <laughs> well, the, the Singh brothers are released. Maybe they can hop <laughs> flight over to Japan. <laughs> Everyone's released, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to this shit. So, you know, these guys had their five-match series, and then, you know, Suji and Yuimura, they're like, hey, you guys did really good. We're really proud of you. So, as a bonus, we're going to make you fight Kota Ibushi and Shingo Takagi. Aren't you excited? <laughs> <laughs> after losing, after winning no matches, you have to fight the champion and the former champion. Good luck. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I, I think both these matches should be really, really good. Um, for be, us, it's not going to be good for those Lions. No, no, yeah. <laughs> also, we talked about the, the ibushi more match being really good, so I think Ibushi and Tuji should be on the same level. And the same thing for Shingo. Also, Shingo never has a bad match. I think he'll end up giving you more a lot, and so should be really good openers there. Yep, that stuff's going to be good, obviously. Um, you know, third match... Uh, the Suzuki Goon six man tag, obviously, that is kind of a preview match for Desperado against Fen or against Taiji Ishimori. The one concern I have here is that because it's Desperado and Kanemaru in the match against Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori in the match, mm. they might turn around and be like, you know what, we want those junior tag team titles back, and then. And then uh, Bull Club's going to be like, you got it. Yeah, the only hope here is, well, Suzuki's on one side, Giles on the other side. So Suzuki's good team's probably getting the win here. Uh, that doesn't mean anything because they're, they'll are they still get the win. That's right, that's right. I'm thinking Suzuki's going to champion. That's right, Bull They're going to pick up, they're going to get the win, and then yes. they're going to get on the mic, and they're going to be like, we want those belts. Right. And that's, that's what's going to be like, oh, if you want to keep your title match, you have to defend the, the junior tag titles against us first. Yeah, bro, it's the laziest fucking booking in all of wrestling. Like, it sucks. Oh, and they man. keep it was cool, like once this would be the third or fourth time they've done it. I'm not a fan. But um the match should be fine. Fourth match from the top, obviously we're getting the continuation of the feud between Dangerous Techers and Sonata Naito. Um previous show. Uh <laughs> they had the the spot with the uh the package. Oh yeah, we're uh, oh yes, yes, yes. The birthday because it was Naito's birthday the day before, and uh, they didn't get him a birthday gift. So then Taichi brought out a birthday gift uh, for Naito, uh, and also Naito was like getting the match. He grabs the box and he bashes like Taichi over the head of it. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, that was hilarious. So these guys just keep kind of like you know proliferating their feud and continuing it. So you know we're not going to get the blow off to this feud on Kazuna Road, but this is kind of continuing it. Um, but the you know, the main the main event here, never open weight six man tag team titles, and I think that we're getting new champions. You think we're getting new champions. We were both wrong about the junior titles last week. So if we continue that trend, Chaos is gonna retain. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I just feel like, you know, these guys have been racking up these tile offenses. I mean, I mean I would love for them to keep the belts forever, but they just had a title uh, defense against um, Evil, Yujiro, and Dick Togo. Um, we normally don't see title defenses this quickly back to back like this. So the champions are coming in weak. They're going to be coming in weak from the singles matches. I think this is a time for the third gens to capitalize. Maybe New Japan is going to make them hold it for a year. Maybe have these guys go down as history as the longest reigning. Champs, the most decorated, uh, never six man champs. It's just I need Ishii to come off those belts come G one season. Yeah, so he can be primed and ready to go, so we can get Ishii and Shingo January fourth in the <laughs> Tokyo Dome. <laughs> oh man, bro, that would save the company. <laughs> I, I have a hard time seeing them do that. I, I could see Ishii Shingo at Power Struggle. Bro, they put the title on evil. Anything is possible. That's true. Uh, 
if, especially if they try to do two nights again, yeah, uh, why not? Do, do uh, Shingo Ishii one night. Yeah, so this is a weird week. We got two, uh, two, you know, Kazuna Road shows that I'm looking forward to, and then a, a strong show that I'm just not that high on, which most weeks recently has been the opposite way. Yeah, yeah, these two uh, Kazuna Road shows look really, really good. Yeah, these might actually be – this might be the most excited I've been for Road 2 shows since, like, that sling of, like, New Beginnings shows when uh, they were doing the uh, – Empire Feud. The Empire Feud, yeah. Yeah. But we got some uh, – that's going to do it for Casino Road coverage. Let's jump into the news here. Yeah, so interesting news note here. So also the same day as the first Casino Road show on Thursday, July 1st, uh, we're going to see show represent New Japan and Chaos at Bleats, uh card in Tokyo Dome City Hall. And there's a lot of, you know, back and forth on how you pronounce the name of this promotion if it's, it's Gleet, Glate is a great, I don't know. I'm calling it Gleet. That's what it looks like to me. Uh, but anyway, show is going to be facing off against uh, Takanora Ito in the main event of Gleet version one. Uh, Gleet was established in October of 2020 under the executive director and former wrestler and MMA pioneer uh, Kayoshi Tamora. And after a special preview event, Gleet Version Zero, uh, Gleet Version One card sees the promotion's first fully fledged event. Uh, Gleet combines disciplines under traditional pro wrestling in the form of G Pro Wrestling and MMA in style, influence stylings under the Ledet UWF brands. Show's main event will take place under UWF rules against the 27 year old Takanora Ito. He made his debut for Russell One in 2016 and has a background in full contact karate. As we know, Sho has a background in jiu-jitsu and in MMA, and this will be the first time that he wrestles under UWF rules. Um, and we also do have uh, some few uh, notes here. Uh, this comes from the Voices of Wrestling flagship Patreon. Uh, not going to read the full thing here. If you want the full report, you can uh, drop your five bucks to them. Yeah, I was gonna say, what are you doing, bro? You're giving away their shit. <laughs> yeah, let's just point point out some a few kind of notes here on this whole uh, Gleet uh, relationship. Um, it seems like uh, Dick Togo is kind of the one that's kind of been uh, the front runner for this. He, he's friends with several people uh, in the office here, and with the the Harold May regime kind of leaving and you know, the doors opening up to work with other promotions. Um, seems like Gleet is one of these promotions that they they're looking that they could potentially work with. There's not it's not as strong as like AEW or Impact. Uh, there has been a request for Show to work a second UWF style match, but nothing's been finalized for that. Uh, we do know there are wrestlers who have uh, declined working Gleet and working these UWF style matches, um, and there are some who are interested. Uh, Show wanted to work Bloodsport and never got a chance to. Um, and there's also um, talk that. There are New Japan officials looking at Gleet Juniors uh, with uh, the Stronghearts kind of being the ones that uh, people are looking at. And also there's there's some uh, issue, there's some heat with uh, Shingo and Shima that could potentially uh, get in the way with that. But that's kind of where we're at with the New Japan and Gleet relationship. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is super, super exciting. I mean, especially for fans of... Um, you know, shoot style wrestling as well as, you know, uh, Rapongi 3K and show in general. Um, 
it's kind of felt like a little bit like shows sort of needed to take a backseat while some of the uh, spotlight was kind of thrust on Yo during his return, um, which is fine. But this is kind of like a cool little, you know, attaboy that they're sort of giving him. And one reason why this is so exciting is like, you know, every year we do the excursion match of the year. We talk about, you know, which wrestlers have the best matches outside of New Japan. Generally speaking, you're usually looking at a lot of Gaijin matches. Right. And then for the handful of matches that do happen for domestic talent, it's almost, not always, but almost exclusively freelancers. And it's usually either on very, very small shows in in Japan um, or, you know, the type of companies that are you know, aligned with New Japan. So, you know, your CMLLs, your Ring of Honors, your, you know, RevPro, that sort of thing. There haven't been in the last, probably since 2016, that I can recall, there haven't been too many times where a young New Japan contracted wrestler was allowed to go work for any other domestic Japanese company regardless of its size, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you throw around – and there have been some examples of like Nagata working in all Japan and stuff like that. You know, some of the dads, there's been times where like Ligers worked outside at Suzuki. But, I mean, a guy in the same position as Sho, that's like kind of in this era of New Japan unheard of. So like, like you mentioned, with them kind of opening the door and allowing – contracted wrestlers to work in the States for companies like AEW and impact wrestling and stuff like that. The idea that there might be some softening to, to their, you know, um, you know, non working with, with other domestic companies sort of, you know, that's sort of thawing out. This is the first sign of that. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen again, but I mean, it's an anomaly and I hope it is a sign that it's going to continue because this is going to be really cool. And, you know, um, I love UWF stuff. So I love shoot style. I love UWF, UWFIs, I, uh, rules. I don't know what the rules are going to actually end up being for this match, but this this is really cool. Yeah, this is pretty exciting news. I think it's a good opportunity for guys with, you know, shoot backgrounds like show uh, for MMA background to, yeah, work a UWF style match, different style of matchup, get – um, experience wrestling other people and kind of be a draw for um, another promotion. Um, like you mentioned, kind of getting some spotlight on him while Yo's coming kind of the focus uh, on this kind of recent run. And then uh, the most interesting thing to me is just like the notes that we got from uh, the Voice of Wrestling Patreon of potential of them wanting to bring in Gleet Juniors, um, Stronghearts, you know, Shima, El Lindemann. Um, all, all those guys that Shima, you know, travels around with or and some other Gleet Juniors, like we, we just talked about, we just ranted about how much, you know, life the junior division needs. And so, yeah, why not look domestically? If you're having a hard time bringing in Gaijin right now, look domestically and bring in some of these uh, juniors. Viking Pain asked, are you guys surprised show is being allowed to wrestle for Glee? And is this the beginning of New Japan opening the real Forbidden Door with other Japanese promotions? We did cover that, but to answer the question, possibly, possibly. Um, last thing is, you know, I, I heard about Glee 
when it was first coming out. I think we had some questions on this show where people are like, are you going to check it out? And, you know, there's a lot I don't know about the company. My understanding originally was that, like, oh, it's going to be a shoot-style company. And then I looked into it, and it was not. It was It's a company that has shoot-style matches and has shoot-style shows, which is, I think, what this one's going to be, like the Ledette UWF brand that they're trying to run. But um, it's that's not only what Gleet apparently is. They have traditional wrestling as well, which, you know, in case anyone wants to know, like, that's never really been a successful uh, mix, having, you know, traditional matches on, on the one end and then the, the shoot style over here that's never really been a recipe for wild success or big drawing or anything like that. But um, this should be fun while it lasts. And um, I don't know even how you watch it or to catch it. I'm sure we'll work our magic and find a way to observe it. Well, but uh, we've been seeing that lately. New Japan has been putting matches from other promotions. That's up true. On New Japan world. So yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get a, a gleet section <laughs> on New Japan world for a uh, show's matchup here. That's true. Uh, next bit of news, Eddie Edwards and Satoshi Kojima unable to take impact tag gold from violent by design. Um, so they lost, and then this week Kojima will be facing Eddie Edwards in a match on Impact. Yeah, so that should be interesting. Uh, since Kojima's been an Impact, he's kind of been teamed up and buddy buddy with Eddie Edwards. Like you mentioned, yeah, they failed to get the tag team titles uh, from Eric Young and his crew, and so now Kojima is going to be testing off uh, some singles action here against Eddie Edwards. No, no heat as of right now. Just kind of some friendly competition between these guys, and should it should be a fun matchup. Um, then this uh, yesterday on uh, Dark Elevation, we had uh, another little strong invasion. We had Wheeler, Utah uh, being defeated by Machine Gun Carl Anderson. Both of those guys are going to be in the, the tag team turbulence uh, tournament. Utah teaming with Yeha, Anderson also teaming with Gallows. Um, and the last thing here, the Monday free match of the week is Ricky Choshu and Shinya Hashimoto taking on the great Muto and... Uh, Masahiro Chono. You seen? Have you seen that matchup? I've never seen this match, so I don't have much to say about it. To be honest with you, but I mean, the names involved, it could be really good. It also might not be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, it's on the YouTube channel. Everybody can check that out. Now let's uh, jump into some questions, and then we have recommended match of the week, and we'll get out of here. Uh, so first from underscore stress underscore over the last couple of years, I've done a complete 180 on Tai Chi's is mainly due to the great dangerous tickets run as well as various standout performances from Tai Chi in big matches. As a Kawada fan, I always wanted to let always wanted to get him do get him do his connection with dangerous K. But the Holy Emperor gimmick just never worked for me. But like I said, I'm all in on Tai Chi now. So much so that when Miho re- returned recently, me, a grown-ass man, screamed at my laptop like a schoolgirl with excitement and joy. I guess my question is, what is the biggest 180 you guys have ever done on a wrestler from hating them to being unabashed marked for everything they do? <laughs> um, that's a tough question. I don't know when I've done that. I mean, on, since this show has begun, the biggest 180 I have ever done is on Yoshihashi. And I still kind of don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) 
like I like now I do get behind him and I enjoy watching him as a wrestler. But when when I see his face, I'm still like, ugh, his face. You got to do something about the face. Like I don't know what to say. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, Yoshihashi is probably gonna have to will probably be the answer for me too. I can't think of anybody that I've done like a. I mean, I, I was digging Master Watto at first, and then... Oh, that's a huge one, Eddie. I, there's definitely been times where I was into someone, and then they, they uh, you know, disappointed me. And I think for both of us, Kawato. Yeah, like, I was, like, after, like, the first match, and he was, like, doing all those crazy spots, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm all in on Master Watto. And then we just saw, saw more, and I'm like, uh, you know what, uh, never mind. <laughs> I'll tell you someone that I've done the 180 on several times. Is Brock Lesnar? Mm. I've gone from like literally like loving Brock Lesnar when I first saw him to by the end of his run, like being like kind of done with him, especially with the way he went out, and then the the Japan run, and just being like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> <laughs> and then after he came back, but and being I was pretty much that whole way during his UFC shit too. Like I didn't like. Brock Lesnar. Then watching him just destroy fucking Cena, I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is my guy here. And then watching him have those matches with Triple H, and I was like, nah, nah, I'm done with this guy. Like that. Was... <laughs> and then like it, it literally is like with him, it's up and down. Like you know, there's times where like he he had the match with CM Punk, and I'm like, God, Brock's one of the best that has ever done this. You know. Yeah. And then. And then, like, he'll have a match with, like, Big Show, and I'm like, fuck, nah, like, this yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, then, then he'll face, like, Strowman and Kane in a triple threat. The Roman Reigns match, like, it's funny that the 2015 Roman Reigns match, I think it's, like, one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. Yeah. But then but then the, the second feud they had after that, I'm like, oh, God. But, yeah, so there have been plenty of times where I've done, with him, it's, like, a constant, like, this. Like, you know, yeah, up like, and down, yeah. I never know how I'm going to feel about Brock. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's like a ton of people in WWE that I, I could think about that. I uh, did a 180 on Ricochet. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, well, like, that's like, there's a the lot of booking. guys that like, I didn't turn on. It's just the company. Like, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura is like, I could care less about what's going on with Shinsuke Nakamura. And yeah. like uh, Dolph Ziggler. Is a guy I used to be super excited about. Yeah, me too. I don't know. So there have been there have definitely been times, but very few times where a guy st- – you know, I will tell you this. There was a time where starting out, I really didn't like Diamond Dallas Page. I thought Diamond Dallas Page fucking sucked. Mm. And then somehow he creeped up on me, and all of a sudden I was the biggest fucking DDP mark in the world, you know? Like, like we talked about a couple of weeks too, guys like, you know, like a William Regal as a kid, I was like – Oh this, yeah, this guy sucks. But then as I got older, I was like, oh, like William Regal's raw. Yeah, the only problem is those. That wasn't a situation where the guys got better. A situation where like my wrestling takes and tastes got better. Like I didn't realize what I was seeing as a kid. You know, right. <laughs> you know, I think there's a time where like I didn't really like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat that much. Uh, I don't really remember having strong feelings towards uh, Steamboat. Yeah, kind of interesting, but yeah, good question. Yeah, and, and he said, uh, "Thanks, guys. As always, fuck evil and download NJPWEXT." 
Uh, so the next question from Grunty Dodds says, Lance Archer had a breakthrough year in 2019. Is Jeff Cobb's 2021 better than Archer's 2019? Um, no, it's not. Um, it's a good question. So I think it kind of depends on what your criteria is for answering this question, because for me, Lance Archer went out there and they're, they're similar situations for sure. But for me, Lance Archer went out there and took himself from this one particular level and through his performance in matches, elevated his stock to a whole new level. You know what I mean? Um, and it probably would have continued to go higher had he can, stayed with the company, yeah. you know? Whereas I feel like with Cobb, Cobb has in a short period of time over a few matches elevated his standing, but also the booking has done it for him as well. They've booked him and he's, you know, and every time they've given him a chance, he's performed and and exceeded expectations. But I don't feel like it was, I don't feel like Jeff Cobb has elevated himself solely based off his performances to the next stratosphere of, um, perception in the in the the minds of fans if that makes sense yeah i don't know i mean this this year i i feel like with the heel turn and being part of the empire the 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 shingo match at wrestle kingdom um you know the match he just had with abushi and there's some other matches in between there where i feel like that his in-ring work really did kind of help elevate him a little bit okay well this is what i mean i i guess i'm misspeaking what i mean by that is this I think Jeff Cobb's highest of highs are higher than what Archer was doing in that year. So I don't want to make it sound like he's not, he hasn't performed better in ring because of course he has. But what I mean by that is like every night that Archer was wrestling during that period, it felt like he was doing something new, fun, crazy, and exciting to get himself over to a higher degree. And it was working, you know? Right. And I feel like his entire body of work in that 2019 span was more than what Cobb has done in the few highlighted spots they've given him that, but here's the thing Cobb's year's not even halfway over yet. Right. Cobb hasn't had a G one yet. So this question is kind of a moot point because clearly in the, in, in the standings of contendership within new Japan, Cobb is higher, and this is why I said it depends on how you answer the question. Cobb's higher right now in contendership than Lance Archer ever was in his entire tenure with New Japan. So he's already been elevated to a level, booking-wise, that Archer never really even attained, you know? Right. And he still has half a year to go and a G1. You know, plus there's a dome show coming up. I'm sure he's going to have opportunities there. So, but when it's all said and done, I wouldn't be Cobb is on a tear. So I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of it we say Cobb's the answer. But right now, looking at the G1 run and the U.S. title run that Archer had, I I have to go with Archer. 
Right, and like you mentioned too, as far as like the booking, like the G one, like Archer was not really booked that strong in the G one. He didn't win a ton of matches, but like you mentioned, he went out there every night and got himself over. That's what I mean by it, and that's why, like, I feel like his breakthrough year was, like, he didn't even have groundwork laid for him going into 2019. You know what I mean? Right. Cobb sort of had groundwork laid for him going into 2021. He had momentum. Right, yeah. For yeah, cuz Archer was just kind of this, you know, normal Zugun thing, then then Dayboy leaves and then he has the New Japan Cup match of Osprey and then he has the the, yep. the G1 match of Osprey and then he was just, you know, off running from there. Yep. Yep. 100%. Uh just a little bear 01 asked if they were available for it, assuming it isn't already taped as well. How would you feel about Brizengo in the strong tag team situation? So yeah, so recently released, we have uh, Tyler Breeze, Fandango. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I personally don't. Wouldn't want them in, in the, the tag team turbulence or in the tag team division. I mean, they're they're good workers, but I don't know. I just don't think they really fit the New Japan style. Yeah, what is this mid two thousands Ring of Honor? Get out of here. <laughs> I I just don't see them fitting in there personally. It's not like a team that I would be keen to see. Could it work out? Sure. We've seen it work out with uh, Fred Rosser, so who knows? But as of right now, I'd say no. Yeah, especially if they're kind of going to use the, the kind of the Breeze Angle fashion police gimmick. I think that would work better in like an impact uh, than like the New Japan Strong right now. Viking Payne asked us. He said, I heard Cyber Agent is doing a massive vaccination for all their promotions, do you guys have any info that Bushi Road will be doing the same? And I did hear about this, but um, I was wondering about that. I was like, how is Cyber Agent? I mean, Cyber Agent's a bigger company, um, so who knows? But I was like, you know, that that would be crazy if they were able to get vaccinations. Bushi Road's not able to, or maybe willing to. I don't know. Right, and I wonder if, if it's a thing of Bushi Road just not being made public about it. But I have not heard or seen anything about Bushi Road getting wrestlers vaccinated. So. Next thing, he said, kind of a sad and scary situation, but I heard Big Mike Elgin went missing a couple days ago. Any updates on that, and is he okay? Uh, from what I saw on Twitter, they did find uh, Big Mike, and he appears to be okay. I don't know the full story. It was kind of a quick thing on Twitter that he was missing, and then I, I saw a follow-up that he, was, that he was found. His friend that sent it out pretty much just alluded to and said that he'd been helping Mike with issues. And then they couldn't get in contact with him. And then later they could. So I don't want to speculate beyond that, but that's kind of the gist of the story. Yeah. Hawaiian Punch BV asks, with the most recent cuts in WWE, who would you like to see competing in New Japan and or Strong? Maybe someone like Tony Nese and Atoro Huas. And uh, before you answer, Jeremy, you already know I'm all about Atoro Huas <laughs> going to New Japan Strong. Yes, I, I know you are. Uh, yeah, and a guy like Huas, I mean, we, we've seen him um, on the Largo Loop. We've seen him on Evolve. Oh, that's someone that I did a whole 180 take on. Mm. Bro, I fucking hated Atoro Huas because they made him work that, that PC style. Yeah. And I was like, why? Dude, he would come out there wearing a gi and a black belt and taped up hands and MMA gloves and a mouthpiece and then, you know, club a guy in the back and do a snapmare <laughs> right. and do a headlock takeover. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is- Bro, you are a karate gimmick. You need to do some cool shit. <laughs> 
Yeah. And bit. then finally, like, he went to Evolve, and all of a sudden, like, he started doing that stuff. And I was like, wait, what? Oh, he's a badass. They just don't let him be one. Right, yeah. I think that Evolve run really helped him kind of spread his wings, and uh, Gabe did a good job there, just kind of let him work, kind of work that shoot style. He had that rivalry with uh, Anthony Henry. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, Hoo-Ha is the guy. Like, If he can bring that MMA background, kind of work that strong style, I think he would be uh, perfect. Uh, I think a guy like Tony Nese uh, would, would fit in. We talked about how we need juniors. I, I think Tony Nese would be um, a great junior to um, bring in there to have on strong and in domestic junior division. Well, I mean, they cut the whole entire, like, 205 Live group, so... Yeah, uh, there's guys like uh, uh, Ariel Davari. I'm not sure I would you know, bring I, him. I don't. In. I don't even know who really got released because I I haven't been keeping up. I just I know there was a big round of releases. Um, I, I'm taking a look here and seeing like if there's anyone I see that. I mean, like Tony Nese is good. I'm not a huge Tony Nese fan, but I wouldn't be opposed to him being involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think. The, the name that Aturo who has to be like the main guy that I'd be interested in. Yeah, other names released. You have Ari Davari. You had uh, the Ever Rise team of Chase Parker and Matt Martell, Fandango Breeze, August Gray. Uh, Who's August Gray? Uh, Anthony Green. He used to be on Evolve with oh, uh, yeah. Brandy Lauren. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not really too interested in most of these guys, honestly. Yeah, but I mean, the Sing you Brothers. Know, if if they can find work with New Japan, great. Yeah, like like you mentioned, I mean Fred Rosser is kind of those guys hope they're a guy who you wouldn't really see fitting in New Japan, getting a shot and kind of making it work. Uh, but if I had to pick two people, it would be Nice and, and Hujas. Uh Next question: What did you guys think of Lomachenko's dominant performance over Nakatani? Some people thought Loma would struggle a bit with Nakatani's height, like Tiafima Lopez did. Do you think the eventual rematch with Lopez will go differently this time around? Maybe Loma won't give away the first several rounds and be more aggressive this time. And uh, to kind of answer the question, because uh, I know Jeremy didn't check this out probably. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, w- I wasn't surprised that Loma uh, was able to beat Nakatani, but um, I was a little surprised that he was so dominant for the reasons you mentioned. We've seen Lomachenko have some struggles at these higher weight classes with rangy fighters. So I kind of assumed, you know, that maybe there's a possibility that Nakatani might have a, uh, you know, a first line of defense that might give him some trouble, but that wasn't really the case. And, you know, Loma is super motivated. And like, if you want my honest opinion, I know Teofimo Lopez is the truth, but like, Lomachenko's my guy, has been like since day one, and I, I think he's still the best, you know, under 135 guy in the world, and uh, that that includes everybody. I think he's the best, and I do think he beats Lopez in the rematch. Mm. Uh, next question here is, did you check out Cyril Gaines' performance this past weekend? Not many people can do that to Volkov on the feet over five rounds other than John Jones. I would say that he's the most interesting challenger to Nganu. He used to train with Nganu. He's the most technical on the feet in the heavyweight division. He has shown the ability to go five rounds easy. 
I'm not saying he'll beat Ngannou, but because his defense against long strikes is a bit loose, Gain will tighten that up because Ngannou has the fight-changing power. It'd be amazing for that fight to take place in France, but it won't happen. Yeah, actually, I don't know if you heard the news, but um, there's some controversy going on because yeah, Ngannou doing, uh, had... interim title, right? Yes. So uh, Ngannou, his management team has turned down um, title defenses from Derek Lewis. Uh, I don't know. They didn't cite the exact reasons, but um, I think he's only been champion for like a couple months, you know? Yeah. And apparently there have been some reasons that they've had to push those those title fights back. And now he's saying he can't make the the, the most recently scheduled fight. So uh, the UFC is looking to make Gain versus Derek Lewis for the interim title. And then there is a bunch of back and forth you know, shit talking on social media between um, Nganu's management team and Dana White. So, you know, whatever that is. But uh, that's what's happening next. Um, again, I still haven't really checked out Cyril Gain. I saw some of his highlights. Very impressive. Volkov is a super accomplished, rangy, strong, experienced uh, striker in the heavyweight division. And it looks like Cyril Gain kind of just handled him. Which I've never, I haven't seen anyone really do that to Volkov. So he's got to be the truth. And you look at his track record. Um, I'm gonna keep a, an eye on him, but um, you know, it looks like he's he's the the next guy that's up on deck, and you know, um, probably good for UFC because they've got someone other than John Jones that they can match up with Ngannou for the time being, and that kind of gives them some leverage. And I'm not saying I'm in favor of this, but I'm saying for them from a bargaining standpoint. Gives them some leverage in these uh, ongoing, you know, controversial uh, negotiations with John Jones. So, yeah. Uh, moving on to the last set of questions here from Dom Homie One Hundred and One. First, he asks: Bigger impact on pro wrestling in Japan, Giant Baba or Antonio Inoki? Um, that is a really, really, really hard question to answer. Um. That's really, really difficult to answer, to be honest with you. I would say... I think... This is just my opinion. I think in the long term of who had a bigger impact in pro wrestling... Dude, oh man, I don't know because <laughs> it, it is really hard because I'm trying to like reason it out and I'm thinking about like who was – Giant Baba was the bigger star for the majority of their earlier careers. But by the time the 80s rolled around, it was clearly Antonio Noki, and he might have reached a level of popularity that Baba po- quite possibly never reached in terms of drawing power and visibility on television, things like that. But they're pretty comparable. And, I mean, we're talking two guys, Ricky Dozen's two top, you know, students that were, like, on the same level as your Hulk Hogan's, you know? Um, so it's pretty that's, – that's a pretty big deal. But when it comes to, like, impact on the world of wrestling, I mean, dude, I don't know. Because out of Inoki, you get Strong Style and New Japan, which obviously is the most prominent wrestling promotion alive today – Beyond that, you get the offshoot of Inoki going into the shoot style matches, his different style fights, which gave way to the shoot style 
promotions, which gave way to mixed martial arts, which gave way to, you know, that sort of reconverging back into uh, pro wrestling. And I'm not just talking about Inokiism. Uh, I, you know, there's more than shoot style and MMA's influences on pro wrestling in Japan are so they're in the blood of what pro wrestling is today. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing that he did in opening up that. And that's also the idea of what strong style even was. It was, you know, more striking and submission based, you know, uh, pro wrestling. And so that's a big deal. But then you look at Baba and his booking and, you know, the, the pillars and all Japan in the nineties and their influence going into the two thousands with Noah and how that influenced an entire generation of workers in Japan. And to be quite honest, this high, this most uh, recent, like, you know, high end period of great matches in new Japan, the main event style was more akin to King's road style than it was to strong style. So, it's hard to really it's hard to really give props to Inoki for what New Japan's doing current day without acknowledging the booking style, the wrestling style that Baba proliferated. I, I really have to call this a draw, to be honest with you. I, I couldn't say one or the other because I don't know how you kind of you know separate these two and I mean these two guys were training partners together, they came up together, they were tag team partners. I mean they started their companies in the same year. Um, the the long, bitter promotional war between them. I don't even know how you answer that question. I think it's equal. Yeah, I think you know people could probably make arguments for either person, but you know, based on what you laid out when you look back at the history, I think they're pretty even playing field. Both of them are like venerated as like these, you know, legendary legends. Like you know, so I don't know. I, I really don't know how to answer that. Like if if you wanted my opinion, like if you were gonna ask me, like, just as an example, if you were to be like, who had a bigger impact on pro wrestling, Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair? I would say Hulk Hogan in a heartbeat. That's not even a hard question for me, you know? Yeah. That's that might for someone who doesn't maybe isn't as familiar, like that kind of might give you an idea of of comparison. Like that sort of analogy, I could easily give you Hulk Hogan. I could give you a million reasons why. With these two guys, I really couldn't tell you who had a bigger impact. I really don't know. Mm. Uh, his next question, what would be a fancy trio match with the unit of Goto Ishii and the MVP Yoshihashi? I would go with Okada, Ibushi, and Tanahashi versus Goto Ishii and the MVP Yoshihashi. Uh, it would be an ideal fancy matchup. Uh, that's interesting. Um I'm not sure who like a fantasy trio is that I'd want to see. Uh, I'm assuming he means New Japan. I'm sure there's a lot of teams outside of New Japan that could also be thrown in the mix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he said fantasy, so I'm I'm thinking we we open the doors on on this booking idea. Uh, well, I mean, they were talking about the Strong Hearts. I don't know why you, you couldn't just throw them in there. Yeah, that, although although all three of them are little guys, right? Uh, I think it'd be fun if you do uh, Ibushi, Omega, and Tanahashi. Ibushi and his two tag partners. Ibushi, Omega, and Tanahashi. Yeah. 
But o- Omega and Tanahashi hate each other. I know, but Ibushi is the bond that brings them together. Bro, if it was up to me, I would do Shinsuke, Shibata, and Tanahashi, the Musketeers, let them ride again. Oh, that would be raw. Yeah. That's that's my fantasy pick. So Dom Homie also asked, uh, how do you guys think the rest of the 725 Tokyo Dome event would look like? I don't even... I can't even really begin to think what it's going to be. I mean, I'm getting to the point where, like, the schedule... Again, like I mentioned last week, where they keep having different shows, different tours, kind of mix-match. Like, I don't even know... Is is that strictly what we're building to right now that's coming up in the next little while? Like, I don't even know what the schedule looks like, really. Well, we're building... There's the, the two Summer Struggle and Sapporo shows that we're building to. There's the, the tag title match with... Lij against Techers and Ishimori versus Despy, so we're building to that on top of building to the dome. Also with Bushi and Shingo in the main event. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to think what's going to fill it out because you know I, I would have thrown the tag title and the junior title match on that dome card, but they needed that for Summer Struggle and Sapporo. Um, so based off those results, you could you could have a team come out and challenge the winner of the tag title match. You could have. Maybe Hiromu's healthy. Maybe he, he challenges the winner of the junior title match. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm like, there's a lot of summer struggle shows here. Um, but not so many that I'm like, oh, they're going to do a really good job building to the Stone show. Right. Uh, in a perfect world, I think they need most of the titles to kind of be represented. That's my thinking. Aside from that, I don't really have an answer for you. I, I don't know how to book it out because we don't – we're not even in the uh, proper, um, <clears throat> the proper tour f- to build for that show specifically. So I have no idea what we're, you know, what they're even considering. Right, and it's hard to know like who's gonna end up being in the country. Like, I mean, if you can get Jay and Finley, and I think you could do the never open weight title match that they were starting to build uh, on that dome card. Um, you know, Kenta's been MIA in a while. I think he's a guy that could be used on the card um, in, in a big match. So I don't know. Uh, we will see. Yeah. And here's the last question here. Thoughts on the recent battle that took place between uh, Tank Davis and Mario Berrios. How do you guys rank Tank's backflipping skills? Well, it was a great fight to, to be in the crowd for, so shout out to Atlanta. I think Atlanta could take over as a fight capital, in my opinion. But Tank, Tank did his thing. He's shown he, that he's more than a knockout puncher. His high boxing IQ was on point. I told you that the body shots would be a fight fact, a fight, a factor in the fight. Also, Floyd need to chill out and just sit down. He was all over the place at ringside. I'd also like to give a shout to uh, Lubin and Rosario for putting in that work too. Um, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> listen, as someone who has been in a ring and been on that top rope, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that uh, that's not something that I would do. Um, but I mean. So he, he did a yeah. backflip in, in, in a boxing match, like for his entrance or something? No, after he won. Okay. Yeah, they stopped the fight, and then he ran up, jumped on the top rope, and did a backflip off of it. Some guy uh, in UFC just like blew their knee out doing that from the cage. Dude, several people have hurt themselves celebrating by jumping off the cage. <laughs> so, it, yeah, I don't think he should keep doing it. But, I mean, literally, it, it was like a perfect backflip, so it's kind of crazy. Um yeah, as far as like your call, you mentioned body body shots being a, a big factor. Um, 
absolutely correct. He definitely showed his high IQ, his uh, ability to adjust in the face of adversity. And, you know, um, he also carried his power up to this weight class, which for a guy his height and his size, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, dropped this guy three times, got him out of there. And, I mean, Mario Barrios, very good fighter. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Long-term, I don't know if 140 – I think 140 might be a, a long-term destination for um, Davis, but I don't know if he – if Gervonta should stay there right now. I think that this might be like a nice little excursion up there. Maybe he should go back down for a bit and kind of build to that weight class properly. And What I mean is through nutrition and um, strength and conditioning so that when he's at – when he goes back to the weight, he's at his optimum. But I mean – if he decides to stay, who am I to argue? I mean, he just beat one of the best fighters in the world there. Um, you know, granted, the title he won is the regular title. And so, you know, there's a unified champ there that, you know, poses a lot of problems. So I don't know if he, I don't know if right now is the, the opportune time for him, especially since there's a lot of big money fights still available at lightweight, super featherweight, you know. So I don't know. All right, let's move on to our recommended match of the week. Last week, I recommended January 4th Tokyo Dome match for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles as Rocky Romero and David Richards took on Risuke Taguchi and Prince Devitt. Yeah, this was a uh, an interesting selection. Why did you pick this match? I was just in a, a kind of Davy Richards mood with him uh, being, you know, a first-round draft pick for MLW, making his return <laughs> back, and... He's doing a lot of indies. I was like, I kind of want to watch some Davey Richards. I was like, let me see what I can find of Davey on New Japan. And so saw this matchup, saw a good rating for it. I was like, oh, let me check it out. Yeah, it's got a decent rating. Um, you know, I actually believe that the the previous match where Davey Richards and Rocky Romero won the titles um, is kind of considered the better match. But uh, this match was fine. It was 12 minutes. Uh, Dave Meltzer gave it like four stars, which I think is kind of crazy. Um, I, I didn't see it in that light at all, but I thought it was a hot opener for Wrestle Kingdom and kind of appropriate, you know, very much in, in the same vein as like, you know, the Bucks versus, you know, Rapongi Vice, that sort of kind of vibe. But I mean, you had Davey Richards here, you know, he's doing his shit, getting his kicks in, <laughs> hitting people hard. Rocky's flipping, doing his shit, diving, Prince Devitt, uh, you know, everyone would just kind of, this is kind of like a by the numbers, uh, opening tag match. It needed to be not too hot so that burned people out, but not, you know, too, too light to where, you know, it set a bad tone. They got a lot of heat on Taguchi. Um, Devitt went crazy, you know, with, you know, all his dives and stomps and everything like that. Once he got the hot tag, um, the crowd did not seem to be that into this match initially. Uh, I don't think that at this point, like Rocky and Davey had really gotten like over with the crowd, but you could tell Apollo Gogo is very over with the crowd. Once Devitt's running wild, you know, the, the crowd really gets into it, but all in all, I would call this a nice little um, junior tag match, but nothing like, that I would rewatch, you know, it goes about 13 minutes. So it's an easy watch, but, uh, I don't know. I'd probably go like three and a half on it. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I could see the, the, the four star. I'm maybe like three seventy five, four stars. I don't know. This is really fast pace. Um I mean, starts- They did go they went very fast. This is probably the of the matches that they had is the fastest pace match they had. Yeah, like right off the like dive, like literally right off the the, the bell ring and so yeah. It's some good stuff. No, it's a good match. It's a really good opener. Like they they didn't like I mentioned, they didn't burn out the crowd by you know, going out there and having a five-star classic, you know, right. something that people couldn't follow. And they definitely didn't go at a slow pace to where, you know, it would have lulled, you know, the, the rest of the card. Right. Um, I thought that they went out there and did exactly what they're capable of. Do I think that they're capable of having a better match? Yes, and they proved it the previous encounter. Um, but, yeah, for this one, I just didn't think there was enough time or enough emotion for me to – to go much higher on it, especially with the lack of crowd response was the, the main thing for me. Even a lot of those dives, like I feel like a modern crowd, like we would like freak out for it, but that crowd was kind of silent, you know? Yeah. Um, cool. But yeah, uh, still worth checking out. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't tell anyone listening not to watch or anything like that. Um, I think that series is one that is kind of forgotten and people should check out. Nice. So what you got for us for this week? I have the first ever 1970s recommendation for mm. you, mm. and it's one that when you hear it, you're going to think, damn, I don't want to watch this, but I'm telling <laughs> you, I'm, tell- I'm staking my entire reputation on it, that this match rocks, right. and um, it's a little bit of – it's kind of funny because considering the names involved – it's a little bit of a hidden gem. And what I mean by that is like no one – when you go online, you're not going to see any – there's no cage match ratings for it. There's maybe one or two reviews and both of them are like, holy shit, this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, but this is uh, 1975. Uh, it is from October 9th as the NWF champion, Antonio Inoki, defends the title – Against Lou Thez. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Lou Thez is 59 years old when this match happens. <laughs> it's on New Japan World. It goes about 15 minutes. So I did not give you the Broadway classic between Billy Robinson and Inoki. Although, that is a five-star match. I, I, I would be open to that. Eventually, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> in fact, when I did my 1975 deep dive, both of those matches happened in 1975. This was my runner-up for best match of the year in New Japan. So this is this is not like me. I'm not playing a rib on you when I tell you to watch this match. Okay. This match is probably, in my opinion, the third or fourth best 70s New Japan match on tape that I've seen. Hmm. Well, which there's a lot of stuff in, in the 70s I wouldn't really recommend, but this this one I would. In fact, uh, Rich watched this match just like one day when he was like just like playing around uh, Rich Latta and he saw Luthez and Inoki and put it on and he thought it was going to suck. And he was just like joking around. And then he was like, damn, that was kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> So it's got the RLPW uh, label of approval, approval on yeah. it. Yeah. 
All right, well, I'm down. I'll check it out. Noki and Luthez. I actually, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually seen a, a full Luthez match. A Luthez match. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're gonna see him in his prime at the prime age 59. of 59 years old. <laughs> Listen, oh. dude. Uh, I never. He at 59 is better than Ric Flair was at 59. I'll mm. tell you that much. At least here he was. All right. Yeah. Now, now I'm interested. All right. So. That's the recommended yeah. match. Check that out this week. And that's going to wrap things up here. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review uh, these two Kazuna Road shows from uh, July 1st and 2nd. Also, uh, the Fireworks Frenzy from New Japan Strong. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow us Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And The Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now for April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $5.28 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024.